Warning, the following show is intended for mature audiences. Viewer discretion is advised. We are live. Are Back we? with Coffee with the Johns. Fridays, 8 a.m. It is April 16th, 16th 2021. Hope everybody's been having a great week. Have a, a lot going on um, in the market, especially with cryptocurrencies. I mean, cryptocurrencies Crypto. has been going nuts this past like week. It's been going nuts these past couple of years, but it, more so this past week with uh, Coinbase going public and NFT. So, I mean, there's a lot to cover in that market. We're also um, going to be talking about the coming housing crash that's uh, expected. Let me talk about some things the IRS is trying to plan for. So that's always fun. And states are trying to buy people. So, yeah, man. I haven't heard that States one. got into the people buying business. So That sounds, that sounds about right. Yeah, so it's... Uh, it's interesting times that we're in for sure. With that being said, I want to remind you all, if you want to join our text community where we are, if you're local, we are doing property tours. We're doing one today um, at 3 p.m. It's already booked, but, you know, if anybody ducks out, you definitely have a chance to jump in. So we do property tours. We're sharing insider tips and stuff that we don't, we're not sharing anywhere else, actually, because... Uh, the market being where it's at. There's it's some things secret. that, yeah, there's bum, some bum, things bum. that we want to make sure it doesn't go public. So, <laughs> uh, you want to join that text community? Text coffee with the Johns, which is C W T J to two one zero seven nine four nine eight nine eight. So C W T J to two one zero seven nine four nine eight nine eight, and you will be alerted every time we do any of these property tours, any tips, anything that goes out. And you can also jump on if you are struggling or want to share any knowledge or looking for help in real estate on our private Facebook group. Just go on Facebook and search for real estate investing the right way. And on there, we have investors, all knowledge level, all experiences, sharing and helping. And that's all it is. There's no deal pitching. There's no nothing. There's just pure education Everybody's sharing everything. Great group to be a part of. So make sure you go there, answer the questions, because if not, you will not be approved. So with that being said, I am your host, John Barbera, and with me as always is the co-host. You shaved your beard? No, it fell off this morning. Ah, it's all this humidity. It's disgusting. No, it works like an air conditioner. It's like a radiator. It builds moisture and the air flows through it, and then it's like the same way yeah, radiator Yeah, I see it more working like a... Dirty, filthy rug that's just like holds smell and odors, and you, it really you know, sounds like you're jealous because you ugh. can't grow hair. I can grow it, just I don't, don't think like you it. Can Mr. John Barr? <laughs> <laughs> always got criticism. Always, always. How's it going, man? Good week. Good. Yeah, S sir. Yeah. Slurps uh, a lot I, I, over there. Yeah, the, the wind, the Good. drizzle. Can I hate the drizzle? Mm. Ugh. Waking up and getting outside, like, oh god. Like you said, like, just commit rain already. Yeah, That's either rain want. or like, get the sun or, out. Like, rain or sun, man. Like, it's just cloudy and overcast. Like, bro. This ain't bro. Seattle. Yeah, it rained last night a little bit, I guess. Uh, my dog didn't want to go out this morning. <laughs> well, I mean, uh, you know, we, we are, everybody is freaking out because we have a cold front coming in this weekend. Uh, they're saying it might drop to 60 degrees. Oh, so I bet you're just ready to go. People are just freaking out. And ERCOT is overcorrecting by... 
putting out warnings telling people to conserve energy because of the coming. <laughs> I was like, so you completely screwed up during the most massive winter storm Texas has seen in like a hundred years. And now that we're going to get some winds and a little bit of hell, you're like, oh, let's make sure we tell people this time. It's yeah, like, so she had like 60 degrees. Like, <laughs> you're not going to freeze to death at 60 degrees. Six? You'll die at six. Yeah, it just but. it goes into like what we always talk about. You know, it's, these people are always overcorrecting, never do what's right when it matters. I mean, it, it's always fun. A lot going on, a lot going on. So what, what are, do you want to jump in first? I mean, we have, like I said, we, we can talk about cryptocurrencies, NFTs or tanking. Well, this is real estate. Real I estate. Like talking real estate. Let's talk so, real estate. Article, when is the housing market going to crash is a hot Google search. Here's why. The housing market has been uh, white hot for the past year, thanks to the stay at home and work from anywhere culture of the coronavirus pandemic. But there is increasing concern amongst consumers that the housing has experienced a price bubble and that the bubble may be ready to burst. Google reported last week that search question, when is the housing market going to crash, has spiked 22,450% in the last month. Why is the market so hot? Search has doubled in just a week. At the start of this month, 42% of homes were selling for more than their list price. According to real estate brokerage Redfin, this is 16%, 16 percentage points higher than the same period for last year. 16% higher. Mm -hmm. That's insane. Fairweather sees the decline in mortgage purchase applications as a sign that some people are dropping out of the market because there's a lack of affordable house for, homes for sale, said Daryl Fairweather, Redfin's chief economist. As mortgage rates rise, which which they are slowly doing now, and buyers hit an affordability wall. Northwalt said he expects to see annual home prices and gains nationally cool to the 3% range, but all real estate is local. Um, what's your uh, take on that of Google or people searching? When is the market going to crash? When is the market going to crash? And 42% of homes selling over list price. Oh, well, I mean, it's... What, what can cause a crash, right? So we talked about the housing bubbles. We talked about what, what is considered a housing bubble, right? So the housing market crashing, it's like, based on what? Inventory is ridiculously low. We're, we're not even at a point where, I, I remember in 2008 when the market did crash, right before it crashed, I remember a lot of builders. I mean, you were, they were putting up houses everywhere. Building subdivisions like crazy, going in all in on these subdivisions, building houses like crazy, where there was no demand. In New York, where I lived, there wasn't that level of demand. So it's like, okay, that, that is a bubble. But right now, it's like, we have more demand than we have housing available. I tell people, just go list a house and show you how much demand there is. You what? Tell people, go list a house and see how much demand there is. Oh, 100%. So, I mean, when you look at all that and people say, oh, there's a... You know, there's a, when's the housing going to crash? No time soon. You know, can, can it stable off? Can it like level off from being as crazy as it is? Of course, but it's always going to be market dependent. Like if all the people keep moving to Texas, Florida, and all the states that are, you know, encouraging businesses and encouraging investing and all of that, that's never going to slow down. You know, not anytime soon. So it's like, all right, when is the market going to crash? Why will it? Yeah. Like just because you're getting priced out or because it's frustrating for some investors, like that doesn't mean it's going to crash. Yeah. You know, so when's it going to crash? It's not. 
Well, I mean, it it, it it's it in itself is not going to crash. It's like real estate's a byproduct of what's going on in the overall economy. It's like now could hyperinflation, inflation, rising interest rates cause real estate to drastically slow down? For sure. As like, but it's not real estate going to crash. It's going to be a drastic rise in interest rates. Or can we already seeing higher interest rates just from this year? That I mean is putting a, down, a downward pressure on prices, and you, but you still have a huge demand of people wanting to buy and nobody wanting to sell. So I mean, what's going to cause it to level off or quote unquote crash is rising interest rates and more people wanting to sell their houses. Yeah, you need a rise in inventory. So. Or, or for some reason that the economy is not expanding anymore and it, it slows down. But we just ended a pandemic and a recession and they've pumped trillions of dollars into the market. So like, I don't see it crashing anytime soon. I could see rising interest rates going up and causing real estate problems and prices to really level off and put some downward pressure on it. But well, I don't see it quote unquote crashing. So I mean, some other things that we're going to talk about is uh, Biden did come out with, uh, well, somebody, I don't know who the hell came out with their uh, first time home buyer incentive that they were going to do. The fifteen thousand dollars that we talked about yeah, in the past, twenty five grand. Now it's twenty five grand, but there's a lot of stipulations within that uh, that thing. But I wanted to cover the San Antonio Business Journal had an expert panel of real estate experts talking about the demand and all of this. So you had Cher uh, Mikulka, Mikulka. She's a chairwoman of the San Antonio Board of Realtors. You have Carrie Moses, who's the VP of Mortgage at Jefferson Bank. And, um, and Mark Sprague, economist and director of Information on Capital Independence Title. So they, they went on in this, uh, in this panel talking about pretty much the current economic, economy of real estate and what's going on. So Mikolka says, it's very difficult right now. We used to say if a house was a certain price point, like 200 grand or below, I'm just going to throw that out there. You'd be probably be in a bidding war. Just this morning, seven homes that they had listed, they already had four of them, uh, had heard back from their agents saying they've got offers, contracts, multiple offers and bidding wars in the same day. Then Sprague talks about this uh, inventory, this low inventory is temporary. If we see appreciation of 7% a year for the next four years, and we see interest rates go up to 3.5, that's a 45% increase in mortgage payments. So he's talking about, you know, as mortgage payments increase 45%, I mean, that's going to automatically price a lot of people out of the market. So what we'll see is a plateauing of values probably within a year and a half, two years, if we look at history. It, we, it will get stable in probably two years as we see values go up, as we see mortgage rates go up. And Moses says verification of employment had have always been done in mortgages for all the years I've been in business, but we would do it 10 days prior to closing to confirming they still have their job. Well, when COVID first hit, we had the verification of employment the day of funding. Talk about like, shit, if the day of funding, they verify that you no longer have the job, the deal's dead. Like, um, I mean, that's, that's, it's crazy, right? Like yeah. to think I mean, about the, how I a mean, deal can make, die that it quick. Makes, it makes sense. You should. Oh, a hundred percent. But I'm saying like that it's gotten a lot more stringent with everything that's going on. So we are, she says, so we are like scrambling <laughs> to make sure we still close on time. 
It is more difficult to get a mortgage these days. Fannie and Freddie, all the investors have tightened all of their regulations, more so than I have ever seen. And then McCulka says, it is negotiable. The buyer doesn't necessarily make up that difference. Uh, she was referring to what's going to happen when somebody buys, says they're going to buy a house for 200 and it appraises for 180 Right before they would be like, well, if it didn't appraise, the seller's got to make up that difference. She says right now it's become negotiable and more towards the buyer now, where now if it doesn't appraise, it's on the buyer to make up that difference because there's so much bidding or there's so many other interests that's either you make up the difference or we go with another buyer. So it's become the market so competitive, so hot, so crazy that we're seeing all of this going on left and right. We're seeing it with our own properties. We're seeing with properties that we're, we pull a comp two weeks ago. It's one price. We pull a comp now. It's like 10 grand more. We, we're just saying, do we wait an extra week or two to post? Cause that, I mean, it's really, if we it's, listen it's like, two weeks, we might make an extra 20 grand. Yeah. It's, it's really just like some of the stuff you're seeing listed in a property. We're coming to the close of the property tour you're doing today. Um, that it's just like, dude, like three weeks ago, it was one price. Two weeks ago is another. Another property just got listed yesterday. That's like, if that goes under contract at that price, I'm gonna price another five grand higher. Just because yeah. like we are like they listed where we were gonna list similar square footage, but completely unupdated. And like, well, at this point now, I'm just gonna raise it a little more because I can see that it's it's just crazy how fast the price is going up. But and to your point on like the bidding wars and stuff like that, and they have gotten ridiculous. From what uh, we talked about it, like Dallas and Austin have been facing this for quite a while. Um, for several years from what uh, I remember talking to people two, three years ago, and they're talking about what they, what's going on in Dallas. And it's like, geez, like that's nuts. That, that's nowhere near what's going on in San Antonio. And now it's like that has wave has hit San Antonio. Um, and I have an article in here uh, from housing wires that the appraisal gap is complicated, complicating deals across the country. The house. So this lady found the perfect house. The house in the Nashville area was listed for 405. Linda, who asked that a real name not be used, beat out a dozen other prospective buyers in a bidding war by, by offering 445 and waiving all contingencies. A 40 grand over list price and waiving the appraisal contingency. Like, hey, I don't care what the appraisal comes for. I'm going to put the money down to make up the difference. And that's pretty common these days. Unfortunately, the appraisal put the house value at 50 grand below what she had paid for it. So it went down to 395 and she's in a contract with 445 and waived her contingencies. And at that point you have to put earnest money down. And if you want to walk away, you got to walk away from whatever earnest money you put down to where a lot of people like in these bidding war situations, like it's no longer like the 1% rule. Like if somebody says like, no, look, I'm willing to put 10 grand down, 20 grand down showing that I'm serious yep. and you can't walk away from that. So with other with others waiting in her, so the house price fifty grand below. With others waiting in line behind her to get back in, saying, "Hey, if this buyer backs out, we want that house." The seller wouldn't budge on the price. Linda had a sizable down payment, but still needed to find ways to close the appraisal gap. She received help from a family member and was also able to take a loan out against her four hundred one k to make up the difference. One California-based real estate agent who originates her own loans told HousingWire that she believes appraisals are being far too conservative in this high-octane market and are also using bad comps. The loan originator added that some people get gifts to cover the appraisal gap while others are borrowing from retirement funds or brokerage accounts they didn't want to touch because of the tax hits. I've done a few bridge loans by placing a lien on their departing residence 
even in other states, he said. But the most important thing is educating clients from day one, set the expectations that they will need to come out of pocket with a substantial amount because the appraisals are slowly getting better. But they they haven't caught up yet. Just I just hope all of those who bid thirty to 80000 more, yes, that really happened along a front-range house in Colorado, can survive never being able to refinance to their advantage, as interest rates will likely never enter the range again. He said, remembering that a rise in interest rates from 25 to 3.5 is not just 1%, but in reality, a 29% increase. 25 to 5% would be, uh, would be 50% increase would be awful on a $400,000 home. Guess we will have to wait and see if values double again in the next 10 years in Northern Colorado market area, but I can't see a person making 45,000 a year, making an $800,000 mortgage payment, home payment, where it's getting real to where people are waiving these things and they don't, and the agents, appraisers are slow to keep up uh, of what houses are appraising for in this like fast moving market. Agents aren't educating their clients on like, hey, if you're going to waive this contingency, there's no telling it's going to appraise for 405. Like this person did it praised 10 grand lower than that towards like, well, I had a bunch of money. So now I got to go get and find more money, take a loan against a retirement account to buy that house. It's like, you're literally putting, you're buying at the absolute top of the market, trying to get a house, liquidating all of your cash. And well, I mean, that, know, that, that, that was going to be my question to this is that are they buying at the top of the market? You know, because if we go even by what that that guy that that economist I just read, what he was saying is that he expects that we're going to see about a seven percent appreciation in San Antonio for over the next coming years, year over year, it's going to be appreciating seven percent. So, is it are they buying at the top of the market, getting into trouble over? stretching themselves to a point where now they're over leveraged on all these houses well, what happens what happens when interest rates rise and prices continue to rise buyers get priced out priced out priced out priced out priced out to where over years and years and years and years and, years, and you look all your cash into this house and you didn't put hardly any money down like yeah you might have some equity in there but you also now have to find a buyer if you're in a pinch yeah but you're assuming no buyers that there, interest rates are going to keep rising well, they, right? well yes because that assumption is there but they have been right they're over a point higher than what they no, were six I, and months i ago. and i get that you know they they have been rising and everything but it's one thing that we always see too is that and we've been seeing it ever since COVID started and even before the government everybody puts a very heavy weight to real estate and the success of real estate and how people affording real estate so if it gets to a point where it keeps pricing too many people out. I'm sure they're going to push something where it's like, all right, let's stop raising interest rates on mortgages. I don't think they'll stop raising interest rates. I think they'll put restrictions on buyer, uh, on people on slowing down the real estate market. I was like, what I don't think, I think, I think, I think they will raise interest rates to bring prices back down. I was like, I don't think they're going to say, we're not going to stop rising interest rates. That's going to make pri prices so you are going to continue to go raise, higher. You're going to raise interest rates, but then you got to lower requirements to qualify for loans. Because then if you're raising interest rates, you're making it more expensive to buy a house. I think they'll eliminate the two-year uh, tax deduction thing to make it less incentivized to buy houses. Like They'll do a lot of policy things. I'm like, I don't think they'll stop interest rates from rising because that's just, the free market's just going to take off and go even higher, and they're in the same problem mm -hmm. as like i think they would do a lot of other things that would make it a lot less attractive 
get into real estate for the short period of time to over five years, it will bring the prices down. It will level off the market or make it less incentivized for people trying to flip houses that are buying and turning things over. They'll remove uh, restrictions because it's already been on the chopping block before of the uh, two year income, the equity tax deduction aspect mm -hmm. of it to where it's like people are like, well, I don't want to get into real estate because now it's not as incentive, not as great. Like, a thing. Explain that. Break that down the two year income. Well, do I say if I buy a house for say 150 and in three years I sell it for, or two years, uh, two years in one day, and I sell it for $200,000, that's a net all, just wiping mm -hmm. away all the fees, that's $50,000 in equity that you just gained. Well, since you were in there for two years in one day, that $50,000 comes to you tax free. So if you sell it in one day short of two years, you now have to pay uh, tax on that $50,000. That goes to your regular income, your capital, long-term capital gains on that. And now you have to pay tax on that. Yeah. So that's why it's incentivized to buy, hold for a period of time, and then sell over time and to get that money tax. -free. It has to be your homestead. It has to be your homestead. Yes, right. for sure. Like you have to be actually living in that house for two of the last five years Right. is how it comes down. Uh, too. So you can live in it for two years and then move out and use it as a rental property for three years minus one day, sell the house and still get the windfall tax free. And, and again, like we always say, you know, the point of this show is, and this is yesterday, even one of our builders brought it up is like, he's, he said, you know, sometimes you guys get really political and what we're trying to cover is not political or political opinions. It's, what is happening with the market for you to start thinking like, okay, well, if that was to happen, how would I be able to mitigate that? How can I protect myself against that? How can I maybe pivot my business or pivot the way I buy houses or invest? That is what we're trying to help you understand. That is what we look at ourselves within our business. We are always looking at, all right, if this goes through, what does that mean for us? If this happens, how would we adjust for that? So. We have a lot of times that we'll sit down and strategize on these scenarios. We strategize, we think about, well, if this was to happen, we could potentially shift to this model or that model or do this or do that. And then we keep going about our business. But in case that does actually happen, we've already been planning for it. It doesn't come as a shock. So that, that's the reason why we cover all these things. It's not so much to be talking about politics, but it's to help you understand, like, in case things like this come about, you're more prepared. So remember, if you are getting value, just head on over. If you're watching on YouTube right now, just hit that thumbs up. It, uh, it makes John feel very happy please, inside. Please, just hit the like he, button. He loves, up. He loves right. that validation that he's liked. There you go. Yeah. I like, I like people <laughs> liking You like me. John, hit that thumbs up. Which John? Ha <laughs> ha. Hey, that's the trick. <laughs> so uh, what we were talking about earlier was the Biden's first time homebuyer tax credit legislation. So the latest draft of a down payment assistance bill would provide $25,000 to the first time home buyers, but only those who are also first generation home buyers and economically disadvantaged. So they're putting more requirements and, and restrictions to this, um, the, the new home buying uh, assistance program. It's not just any first time home buyer is gonna get it. They, you gotta meet these qualifications. Plus, Biden's proposal is not actually a home buyer tax credit, but it is a money. It is money that would be available at closing. The purpose 
the proposed down payment assistant would be means tested based on income and limited to those who have not owned a house for the last three years. So that was actually something new that I learned, uh, I don't know, quite recently, like a year or so ago, is um, to qualify again as a first-time home buyer, you just have not to have owned a home in the last three years. Now you qualify as a first-time home buyer again. I didn't, I didn't know that. I was like, I thought first time literally meant first, first time. time. But there's actually limits to that. So to qualify, neither of the borrower's parents may have owned a home. Now, my question is, what about the grandparents? Right? Because you have, especially on the east side and stuff like that, we've seen houses where the grandparents had the home. They died, passed it to the parents, and the parents left it to the, grand, uh, to the kids well, or the grandparents well, left it to the kids. You own a house at that point. They left you a house and you got a deed, so yeah. you own a house. Well, let's, you didn't buy it, but yeah, you inherited the house. It, you right, own the house. Your name's on the title. Yeah. I'm just trying to think of loopholes. Uh, the, that qualification doesn't apply if the borrower's parents lost their home in a foreclosure or short sale, or if the borrower has ever been in foster care. How in foster care? Uh, borrowers who make imagine that it's like, oh, you're in foster care. You had a home. <laughs> what? Okay. Uh, borrowers who make uh, no more than 120 percent of the area medium income where they live, or if they live in a high-cost area, 180% will qualify for a baseline of $20,000. Those recognized as socially disadvantaged because they are in a group that has been subject to racial or eth ethnic prejudice could receive an additional $5,000. <laughs> um, the grant funding, which is not a tax credit, could be used at closing toward a down payment on a residential property with one to four units, including a condominium, cooperative project, or manufactured housing unit. So, bless you. Very targeted um, kind of grant. And like they said, it's not a tax uh, incentive or anything like that, like it was initially proposed. It's a grant. It is money that's being given to them. It is apparently it doesn't, it doesn't seem like it's going to be taxed at all. So it's just like you're going to get 20 grand to go into your first home. Yeah, and 25 grand. It's just like 25 uh, grand to help if, with closing costs, to help with down payment. It's, it's like it's available at closing. Right. Uh, so how, how do you see that? You know, what, what do you think of this? Do you think that it's a good idea? Do you think it makes sense? Like, what, this what are your is opinions? a hell of a lot better idea than what they originally proposed. Like, fifteen grand for all first-time home buyers. Mm -hmm. Like, that's retarded in a low inventory environment. So, like, now if this was two thousand nine, that's a different story. Right. But right now, it's like so low inventory. I think it would be drastically detrimental to an already. I mean, you just take prices even higher at that point. So, I think it it is a good. Uh, it is a good. I saw a guy's lid pop off today by doing that. Uh, I s squirrel. Yeah, <laughs> I just see that coffee, that lid popping up, and just coffee going everywhere, all over this table, all this electronics flying everywhere. And move on. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> uh, that I think that it is a good idea. It's very targeted towards a subset that you can very, very easily prove, and I don't know how you can get too political behind it. That 
if you are in that scenario to where you are first generation home buyer, your parents didn't own a home, you're economically disadvantaged, you come from a poor community, you've come to a point where your credit has risen to a point, you're already above your typical person that comes from that environment by having a credit score that at least qualifies you to buy a house, I think that is a good idea to give them some sense of responsibility because they have shown effort to get their credit score high enough to be able to get in that situation because real estate over time, treated correctly, does help people. Okay, so uh, what, what you're, you're taking from this too is that you also, they, they're going to need to first qualify for a loan. Then yeah, you're going you to need to- credit so you, score, you're not going to- So you need to qualify for a loan first. And then if you qualify, they'll give you this assistance to give you- better help. But my question is usually the people that need this level of assistance are people that don't qualify because they need this level of assistance. So how do you qualify somebody that maybe, you know, like, how is that going to happen? Like when you're getting pre-qualified, you know, do you have to qualify just based on your credit score and not your income? I mean, like, well, I mean, it's all encompassing to the point where like, it's not just your income. Like you need to qualify on all those things. You need to qualify on income. You need to follow card credit. It's just, it's literally down payment assistance. Right. And it's like, it's not like, Hey, low credit score. FHA already does that. So you'd probably be paying a higher interest rate. If you got into one of these loans, it's just one of those areas like, Hey, uh, I'm struggling to save money. I have a job. I, that can afford a loan. I say so you're renting, you're paying for 1500 a month somewhere you, you've moved up the economic scale you are you've graduated up to an area where it's like i just still have a problem because of high rents to be able to save up cash yeah. where they're at where it's like they still have to qualify for a loan and then it's just that like they just have a problem saving up the 25 grand to buy a house but they have a credit score they have a job that like it's not we're giving it to homeless people that have no credit score like this is 25 percent down payment assistance it's not a tax credit yeah it's not anything it's, it's not grant. incentivized it's a it's a grant mm-hmm. it's like and I, so i think it is very good to see this go towards that to where like if you have risen above that level of a situation through your first generation home buyer you've actually in, come from an area or that environment where you can get into a house you just don't have a problem you have a problem saving the money it's like i think that's a I think it's a good program. So I, mean, I, I, I want to hear from you guys, uh, especially Josue. I know you got recently into selling houses in the real estate market as well. So what do you guys think of this? What do you think of this plan? Uh, given this 25 grand or 20,000, if, uh, if you're not being affected racially or ethnic. 25 grand plus another five grand. Speaking no, 20 third. grand plus another five. It says right there in the article, 25. No, it says twenty five, but when you read the article, it says you get an initial twenty grand. You can get an additional twenty five grand. If oh, just been... three articles down. Jeez. There you go. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I'm interested to hear what you guys think about that. But moving forward, um, hmm, I kind of wanted to talk about this a little bit, just because I, f- I, I believe that we're we're seeing this even within real estate is the inability to hire, right? Like just the lack of the amount of people available to work. And I don't even know if it's available to work or wanting to work. That's the issue, right? Because Mm -hmm. of all the incentives. So we have right now McDonald's apologizes for understaffing saying nobody wants to work anymore. So a TikTok video has gone viral on social media for showing a McDonald's wild apology for a lack of staff. The restaurant located somewhere in the United States 
Because they don't, they don't know where. Somewhere, words. I don't know. Like there's somewhere there's in the United 10, States, ten thousand McDonald's. Put up a sign right when you do the drive-through where you speak into that little box. They put up a sign that says, "No one wants to work anymore." <laughs> <laughs> wow! And it, it said it pretty much said, "Look, we are short-staffed. Please be patient with the staff who did show up. Nobody wants to work anymore." It says the sign, right? So the clip has gotten more than 960 comments, several of which pointed out that the shortage, the shortage of workers has become a common problem in every restaurant in the United States. According to local media, many restaurants are struggling to hire staff now that businesses and activities are being reactivated following pandemic-related uh, restrictions. The number of customers arriving has already returned to pre-COVID numbers so people are coming back, but we don't have all the staff we need to do the job to serve them. A Tampa, Florida business owner told uh, told the news station. And then another owner store of a store in Memphis, Tennessee, said that she had to close her business until she found people willing to work. Uh, they are talk they're taking advantage of the stimulus money given by the government, the tax credits, the checks for prolonged unemployment. And they prefer to accept those benefits instead of going back to work, the restaurant owner told. So we and we're seeing this. We're seeing this in construction. We're seeing this. Uh, I know Uber and Lyft. That's why they they were creating those incentives. Uber and Lyft are having a huge issue because as we're seeing more people traveling, more people, you know, coming into the um, moving around, doing everything, they're requesting rides and nobody's showing up. Right. There's like or it's taking too long for rides to be available. So we're seeing all this. And this is something that you and I both spoke about plenty of times um, that. This is a real problem when you are because all the people that got hurt are pretty much your entry level jobs. Yeah. Right. Those are the you know, your service industries, your your gig workers, which are your, you know, your Uber drivers and all of them. And you just gave them the same amount or more money than they make without even having to work. Mm -hmm. And then- On the ability, from, ability, like you're an independent contractor, you can claim unemployment. Well, and then from my understanding is that you don't, uh, Biden like changes the rule back, I guess. I, I don't I don't quite know this, so I'm, maybe you do. But I heard that Trump had changed it where it's like you had to kind of prove that you were really unemployed in the sense that you have to prove that you couldn't get a job and whatever it is. And supposedly Biden took that away where it's like, you don't even have to prove you just have to claim unemployment, yeah, I don't you know? know? So I don't know if that's true or not. I'm, uh, that's what I heard. I'm curious to see if any of you can verify that, but that's the problem, right? Like you're, you're giving people all this money, all this uh, stimulus and everything to a lot of the people that do those jobs. That is a lot of money, you know, because a lot of them, they probably don't make that even at their jobs. So yeah. Employment has been really hard and construction hasn't paid out what it used to. So even employees that work in construction, they don't make a killing either. So now they're probably making the same amount of money or close to it by being on unemployment without having to go work and break their back in construction or having to go work at a restaurant or do all this. That's like, what's going to happen? Well, with we all we saw that kind of knew that was going to happen. I mean, that's where I was glad they lowered the incentive mm -hmm. uh, to $300 from the 600. Oh, 600 and then they were proposing 400 yeah. but then um, Mnuchin came out and said, I, I can't support that, and they dropped it to 300 Um 
but I mean, yeah, it's a, it's a huge problem. Uh, and I mean, hopefully one that eventually works itself out, but it also, it's like, what I was thinking, talk about inflation, like age inflation, stuff like that. Like how do you incentivize people to leave unemployment and come back to work, pay them more. And with pay, you pay them more like at McDonald's. It's like, okay, they were making 12 bucks an hour. Now we got to raise a 13, 14, 15. Like where are those costs going to go? They're going to go to the end consumer that that's who it hurts is that they're going to raise those prices to compensate like a restaurant. It's like, I need to be in business. People are coming in my door. The only way I can do that is I have to raise my, raise my food costs and hire more people. Yeah. It's the only way they can go there. They can accomplish that. So. Well, I think you have a good point. And I was, uh, going to lead into that as well is just saying, okay, so you increase wages, right? And it will go to that, but you have a lot of these places that you, let's say, okay, I increase my wage, but then I also have to increase the prices. There's a lot of towns that can't afford to increase their prices because you go to these little restaurants and, and, you know, in these small towns and maybe you're paying $10 a plate and now they got to increase it to, 13 14 dollars a plate and for a family of four they're like uh you know yeah we used to go out to eat every other day or whatever but now let's cut that back you yeah. know what i mean because now it's costing more money to go out to eat so these restaurants are not going to be able to do it they're not going to be able to even increase their 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 well i mean their, then they their, just go to business i mean that's chat. the only chapter they have it's so, so it's like and then you have been- automation Right. Then like McDonald's, places like that, they can afford to automate. Oh, yeah, they can. So they can go. Now you're pushing more automation, which is going to keep pushing more unemployment. Now, again, this is not complaining or whining about all these things, but it's like the unintended consequences of giving people just free money and not. not forcing, I guess, I don't know if forcing is the right word, but not demanding that they try to at least go get something well, of equal be, or you, greater value. It used value. to be like you only had so many weeks of unemployment you could do. Or it's like, hey, you get, we'll help you out for 20 weeks, but after 20 weeks, well, you're done. You still you're have certain weeks. It's just it keeps getting extended well, at the I end said. of every I certain I, week. I don't know what it is now if they if they did that or they yeah. didn't do that or what it was, but I know last year, like they waived that contingency. It's like, hey, or no, they extended it. It was like from 29 weeks to 39 weeks. They gave another two and a half months. Yeah. So I don't know what, that looks like now um but it, i mean you have the unintended consequences like you talked about to like i don't like did you think these things all through of what this would do or i mean you can go a little bit conspiracy theorists behind it of just like they're trying to force inflation to like there was a banking problem before this crisis you saw this in the short-term interest rates or the overnight markets spiking to 10 percent and stuff like that where the bank had to step or fed had to step back in to stabilize that market and we're like it's not quantitative easing. It's uh, we're just help stabilizing this subset of the market. Like, well, you got problems in the overnight lending rate. Like, that's not good. Or like they're inflating hey, away this. If you're going to drop something like that. Explain it a little bit. So what are you saying about the overnight lending? rate? So banks lend to each other like overnight. Like literally it stands for that. Like overnight, they give like 24 hours. Like, hey, I need some money. I'm going to pay the small premium to you. And it's usually around like the Fed interest rate of like one, two percent, whatever it was. So they're out in the corners hustling loans. <laughs> something like that basically the overnight interest rate where banks lend to each other yeah well all of a sudden that rate where it was very stable and it's a lot of commercial paper that changes hand and stuff like hey i'm gonna give you uh this asset of this loan uh for this commercial paper i just need some cash for bite for everyday funding and stuff like that yeah well all of a sudden out of nowhere that thing spiked to like 10 percent in a day and that showed like no bank was wanting to lend to each other to where that is what happened in uh um 
Texas, when the energy, like all of a sudden the demand drop or the demand spiked and the supply dropped, well, that are the way our Texas energy is set up. It's on supply and demand. When demand went through the roof and supply dropped, prices went through the roof. And that's where you saw some of these people were paying like $20,000 electric bills in a month because right. of their energy bills. Well, I mean, the overnight linear works the same way to where there was a massive demand and no supply to people to lend. Well, the Fed stepped in to be that ultimate lender and pumped the money into the market to help do that. But that was happening in late 2019. So there was already problems with not being enough liquidity in the market. And there's a lot of loans, a lot of money went out, but not enough money to supply the everyday funding. What happens with a perfect pandemic? It's like, well, we pumped a ton of liquidity into it. And now how do you get out from a lot of loans is you inflate the loans away and you pay back a loan with cheaper dollars. Right. So you have that aspect of like, they need to force and inflation. So let, let, to let, let's break that down too, because when you talk about paying a loan back with cheaper dollars, it's one thing that we talk about that we've mentioned before on the show, why mortgages are the investment and not the real estate, because you're getting, let's say a $200,000 mortgage at a 3% interest for 30 years and they keep printing, right? So you still owe that $200,000 at 3%. But now that house, let's say, is worth 250, 270, 280. That house didn't go up in value is there's more dollars going after that house. So yeah, I mean, you're the, you're 250 on now. On a grand scale, yes. Right? So so now your 250 buys the same house. So that means that like as everything goes up, that's cheaper money to pay an already $200,000 loan that you've yeah. locked in for 30 years. Well, that's what the, with the conversation we have, like the difference between good debt and bad debt. Right. So or like if you get debt against an asset, like like real estate or stocks, or um, if you get some gold, whatever it is that you can, I mean, leave that out. But if you're leveraging against an asset that produces cash flow that somebody's going to want and pay more for in the future, yeah. as more dollars come into the system, I mean, the Fed says they want to target inflation every single year. Yeah. So over a 10-year period, you say 2% two year, 2 a year, that's 20%. So the value of your dollar has gone down 20%. So that's why, and if you pump a lot of debt and look back over the 2008, they had a lot of bad debt that people had to buy out and absorb. So where if you enforce inflation, you give a short labor shortage yeah. to where they have to pay higher wages. They have to bring a higher food costs because, I mean, all of that gets passed down. To the end consumer like they can't take those hits for so long like companies still need to make profits so in the economy in the free market is good about finding that perfect balance but it's saying like hey uh we're not we need employees to operate our business so we're going to bring employees in pay them two dollars more an hour and we're going to raise our food cost 20 10 percent right and and then that's the kind of how it does like nobody really pays attention to the gallon uh with the price of a gallon of milk because you need the gallon of milk that, and it goes up so small amount, exactly. you don't realize like, hey, okay, $2 a day, and then it's 204 next week. Then it becomes 210 the month after that, and then 212 And like, it just slowly goes well, up and, over and a small unless, amount, and you don't realize unless it. Unless if you're actually, and this is something that you and I were talking about recently, about how you need oh. to be able to track your expenses, your money. Where's your money going? All of this. And most people, we don't. And I do say we, right? Because yeah. I don't. You know, it's something that just could not be more dull than tracking my freaking finances and expenses and stuff. But when you start tracking it and you start saying, okay, well, I have X amount of percentage of my income is allocated to my bills. And then all of a sudden, month over month, you're seeing that's like, huh, I had this allocated. 
but now I'm having to put in more. You understand? So it's like, but what the hell? I, I still have the same stuff. What am, what's going on? And then you start reviewing. You're like, but I haven't changed anything. And all of a sudden it's like, well, your groceries went up. Yeah. You know, overall your grocery went up. All, overall your gas, overall, all these things, they're, well, gas, I mean, went up drastically, but all these other things, they, they go up so minuscule, but compounded over everything you buy. Yeah. Like it's a bump. You know, and then it becomes a place where it's like that's that's I mean, inflation, it's a, it's people. A little, little uh, some do something like a, I'm sure there's something you used to buy ten years ago that you stopped buying when you moved somewhere, and then you just don't buy it anymore. Mac like, and cheese, yeah. Mac and cheese. A <laughs> wife won't let me. <laughs> You're grown ass man. I want some mac and cheese. I don't go to the grocery store. <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyways, like go back and look of like what the costs are now, yeah. and compared to what they were five, eight, ten years ago. Because I mean, I look at it, it's like like I like craft beer and stuff like that, and like a six pack of like beer used to be like six, seven, eight bucks. Now it's like like a pack of Shinerbach. It's like nine fifty. Like what the hell? Oh shit! Oh, you didn't plug it in. Oh. That's for all. But uh, you look at like what those costs are and it's like, yeah, it's like, man, I could have sworn when I moved to Texas, like, like you can get a six pack of Shiner Bock for like seven, maybe eight bucks. Now it's damn near $10 for it. But that's, that's, that's what happens when like you have such a labor shortage, they have to pace things on and it goes to that in consumer. Yeah. And, like we're the ones picking up the tap and that's your inflation. And that's so, exactly what it is. And that's when we talk about, you know, paying stuff back with cheaper dollars is it's that it's when the money has been diluted. So essentially your your dollars now, like you you need more dollars to buy the new stuff, but that amount of more dollars can pay off your old debt yeah. much cheaper. So that's one thing that Robert Kiyosaki always talked about. He says, savers are losers. And what he means is not losers like you're a loser, but like you're losing money. Because if you save money, if you're just keeping cash in your house, if you're you know, under the mattress or whatever the hell, you're a loser essentially because you are keeping cash that's being depreciated and devalued drastically year over year. Yeah. So you, it's getting devalued. It's losing all of its worth. So, and you just keep doing that over and over. So it says, you know, that's why savers are losers. So with that being said, I wanted to cover this uh, other article that I read. It's a quick one. It talks about practically everything is getting more expensive in America. So you have consumer prices for March rose 2.6% compared to the same month last year. They were lifted in particular, uh, in particular, I, I got to figure out a way to freaking zoom this screen. Struggle to, let me, let me zoom <laughs> in. Let me, let me, let I'll, let me I'll zoom in. in. I'll zoom yeah, in. There you go. There you go. Um, were lifted in particular by surging energy prices, including the cost of gasoline, which jumped 22.5% over the last 12 months ending in March. Year over year, used vehicle prices are still up 9.4%. The question remains, is this a temporary sugar rush from the reopening of the economy or the start of price hikes that could eat into corporate profits and persuade consumers to stop spending? Prices are rising as the economy is gathering steam. The great reopening fueled by the continuing vaccine rollout is helping to release some of the pent-up consumer demand. Temporarily higher inflation was to be expected. and An economy as large as America's can't 
just be turned off and on again without any such effects. Some economists have noted. So some economists noted like. <clears throat> Why isn't that just like common knowledge? Like you can't just turn economies on and off at will and be like, oh, there shouldn't be a problem. It's like a light switch on, off, on, off. Nope, right. doesn't work that way. So, I mean, these are things that, you know, we, we look at and we, we try to track is just when they shut down the economy and then they go ahead and pump all this money into the economy, right? And they keep pumping in more money. The Fed is pumping in $120 billion a month. So all this money into the economy, it's like, gotta go somewhere you know and we've seen that we've seen asset bubbles we're seeing and, and i mean it's you called asset bubble, bubbles but it's a, but, you call asset prices <clears throat> rising through the yeah roof. not necessarily a bubble but you're you're seeing and the topic maybe we can get into next is like you're seeing cryptocurrency go through the roof right well, we're seeing said, stocks like, go tommy through the a, roof tommy made a comment here's it's more dollars chasing less goods exactly and, like, and you that's one thing like the crypto it has a fixed amount of assets or at least bitcoin does yeah um so more dollars chasing this a fixed input of goods i mean that's why price housing prices are going up it's like i mean it's not a fixed number of housing but there's more dollars coming into the economy than we can build houses uh as fast as we can build them they're just being absorbed i know i've talked to another um home builder friend where he's like they sold all their inventory and they're actually laying off sales agents because like we won't have more houses to sell until the end of summer into fall because like everything we have has been absorbed but it's like, and now we have these sales agents. It's like, well, we don't even know where to go because we don't even have more land and houses to sell. So that that's another problem that you can have with that. It's, it's huge. It's uh, it's all these issues are happening. Um, if they don't tighten, let's say regulations, restrictions, or something. But the thing is that even that, like, we're not seeing a lot of these houses going to FHA buyers, right? We're seeing a lot of these houses oh, go no. to conventional cash i oh. mean that one house that looks like a freak well was a grocery store in lavaca downtown in san antonio sold for three quarters of a million dollars cash in like what 10 days yeah you know and seriously it's a freaking grocery store like beautiful renovation don't yeah, get me wrong beautiful. it was gorgeous renovation but you know a hideous freaking exterior that being said it's like cash Three quarters of a million dollars cash in San Antonio. That's not normal, people. No. You well, know, like, yeah, man, this is in California. Yeah. Like, I mean, here. if you haven't already, you need to check out the Texas market update that John just released last week or two weeks ago. But you covered like the medium prices here and everything. And like that's that's a well, that's double, triple what the medium price is in San Antonio. Yeah. And they're paying cash. We're seeing houses selling, you know, uh, one thing that I talked about, uh, I want to say it was on, oh, no, no, I, I did this in the in the text group. But one thing I was telling them is like, you run your comps, right? And you run your comps for sold. So you're looking at when you're evaluating a property, you run your comps, you're looking at the solds in the area. Yeah. What are they selling for? Okay, they sold for this price. But one thing that we, we started doing is now we're looking at what is also listed. And we're using that as a comp when we go and sell instead of the solds because we're looking at okay yeah this sold well, one of the properties i looked at recently sold for 178 the all the houses that were comparable but then i looked at what was listed there was nothing listed or available within like i want to say at least a half a mile oh, that was comparable I, well the one i we're getting ready to list like i looked it up last night where like i pulled a mile away from this house and i mean a radius a mile well out from this house yeah and there was eight houses for sale i put no limitations on anything and so i mean we're not talking comparables we're just talking like only like two three of them compared but like 
eight houses in a mile radius of this house we're getting ready to list. Right. And for sale. And like several of them are like, yeah, they're not nice looking houses. And like, well, so where I'm going at, like that house, the, if you would have looked at the comp, it comps at 178, 180. But when you look at what's available, the houses were listed for 200, 205, and they were under active option within a week. Yeah. So well, even it. though those are sold at 178, 180, the 205 with such low inventories and people willing to make up the difference from appraisal, now I'm looking at it, I'm like, that's an extra 20 grand at least that that house is actually worth now. Now, here's my issue and our issue of when we're looking at stuff like that, it's like you can't think about doing that kind of analysis when you're buying the house saying, look, this house doesn't make sense at the 180 comps that I'm seeing. But if, you know, these houses are selling for, are listed for 200, now it makes sense. It's like, well, you don't know though. Like you don't know what, by the time you bought it, closed on it, renovated it and put it back on the market, is that still going to hold true? Yeah. Right. Everything shows like it will, of course, but you don't. It, now it becomes to a point where it's like, oh, you're speculating, you know, within and flipping has always been speculation, but there's been a way to kind of protect yourself as much as possible. But now it's really gotten into speculating where when, you know, we always hear the saying, you make money when you buy, where now it's like, well, you are buying negatively and hoping to make money when you sell. Yes, those are all indications of a bubble. But then at the same time, when you have such low inventory and such high demand for properties, it's like, is it? You know what I mean? So I don't know. I mean, it's uh, it, it's a crazy times that we're in. Uh, it definitely is to where it's like, how much do you bet? And like we always said, never buy on based on appreciation. But like when your business gets squeezed to the point where it's like, I want to say business, you got to bet that there's some level of appreciation being built in yeah. Um, to where I've talked to uh, somebody that I know used to be a wholesaler uh, here in San Antonio and he's gone off and he's like, I got out of the business. And he's like, I heard like, talk to a, little, a lot of other wholesales, uh, wholesalers that I know and everything. And like, they're seeing the same thing where the level of wholesalers like dropped out and people was like, yeah, I just wasn't finding anything and I had to go get a job. And he went to work for a home builder selling homes. Um, and made a killing. So he's like, I feel like I made a good move. And he did. And it's like, but save that money. Cause, uh, real estate, it's good when it's good, but it sucks when it sucks, especially like on the new home sale side. But John dropping poetry. Oh, uh, there you hey, go. it's there good you when go. it's good. And it sucks That's when it sucks. sucks. <laughs> you can um, quote him on that. <laughs> but, uh, he said the number of wholesalers were dropping out because like the market was so competitive. He's like, Oh, and it's funny. They always blame all oh, these shitty buyers. Don't just see the, the, the the opportunities of the market like or you're just trying to shove them shove crap down their throat but uh it, it is a real problem and i mean inventory is an issue but like how long is it going to go on for it's like it's only ever, it's i mean it's a betting man's game where like dallas yeah. has been this way for years and like dude that's it's very difficult but the i know we personally know real estate investors that are doing well in dallas and have done well in dallas in that environment oh there there's Look, and this is something that you and I have spent quite some time yesterday even discussing. There's people that are still killing it in Austin. There are people that are still killing it in New York City, in California. There are people that are still making money in these areas. You understand? So it's like, there's always a way to make money. It's just how creative are you? How resourceful are you? And one thing that I see with a lot of people is how they make up their mind to 
early on on what they feel they want to be doing, right? Where it's like, if I can't, you know, I want to wholesale these types of homes to these types of buyers, this type of way, or I want to flip these kinds of homes, or I want to hold these types of rentals, right? So it's like, they make up their mind, like, this is it. And it's a fucking narrow, you know, straight shot. This is all I'm doing. Yeah. The issue with that is what you and I talk about of you're limiting your capacity to if the market changes and that one strategy no longer works, you're done. You know, you find yourself having to go get a job, well, having gonna- to pivot, having to do something. And, and if you're not open minded enough to pivot to to understand how to, the market shift and you shift with it, you're out of business. Well, I mean, that's one thing that uh, with. I know you know I've had the conversation. I don't know if I've ever mentioned on the podcast about like I used to really worry about like when I first started in this business of like man, what is the 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 transition year between a booming market to a regression market or um, a slowing down market? Like what's going to happen during that market when nobody's out buying and things like that? And it was another experienced investor that really kind of calmed that down. And he's like, when things turn bad or things get worse or there's some problems in the market, it's like. A lot of the people that don't have the resilience that have that, I'm a one person, one trick pony, like this is what I'm doing. I'm going to focus on this and this alone and have the ego around it and don't learn and listen from other people that those are the ones that go away. It's like the people that survive and do well in a down market are the, uh, what, it, what was that? The, um, kind of like the art of the deal kind of person, like the, the masters of creating a deal and understanding like, there's always buyers in every market. You just need to be able to understand what the buyers are buying at that time and know where to go to find those buyers. It's like, if your only bet is to just get as low as I can market to all these out of state people that are buying cash. Cause they can sell something in California for 400 grand and or a million dollars, whatever's going out there. And they can buy a house here for 150, and they're just throwing money at things. Like if that's your only buyer pool, you're going to, the ones going to be hurting. Like right now it's like, People are still buying. You just need to know how to f- structure deals to what they're actually buying. Right. To where, like, I um, can't remember, like, the quote he said. It wasn't, like, the wizard of the deal. It was the mad scientist of the deal. Mm-hmm. That's what it was. It's like, it's like the people uh, in the down the, your the down mentor. Market. Okay, yeah. Yeah, your best buddy. Um, <laughs> Even a like, broken clock is right twice a day. The, uh, the mad scientist of the deal are yeah. the people that survive in the down market, like that, that educate themselves, that uh, diversify and understand where they might not be doing subject to is like, we've done very few, but we know them. We know people that know how to do them, the where we can transition to that. If we need to new construction space, that's what we're getting into right now, because we see this lack of inventory that we're trying to help move into. So you have to be very versatile in what it is that you are looking to do and have your eyes and ears to the market of like what's on the horizon. Uh, yeah. We have a, a kid that works with, and he's like, he's like, always protect the downside bar. And he always like, kind of as like a quote nickname for me, um, mm. just because I'm always talking to him, like, like, what's the downside though? Like, what's the downside? Protect the downside. And I learned that by studying and listening to people like Warren Buffett, Ray Dalio, Paul Tudor Jones. It's like, how do I not lose money? What do you mean, um, actually successful people and yeah. not Facebook famous like, ones? Uh, what is wrong with you? Real billionaires <laughs> that grew up from, like, from the 70s till now. We're supposed to take advice from TikTok famous people, okay? Yeah. The ones that are doing the really funny videos, those are the ones we yeah, take advice from. Yeah, I buy from. stock and then I sell it a week later and I made money. Like that's all Just you gotta do. Buy a stock that's going up and then sell it when it goes higher. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That, and that's the, that's the advice people are getting. But it's like, yeah. like somebody's like, when people bring an investment to me, 
How do I lose money? And I try to force every way to say to, and that's why you and I, like, we will not buy a deal unless both of us agreed to buy it. Yeah. We're like, I get gung ho. Like, like, dude, look at this deal. Look at this deal. I'm super excited about it. And then you come to it with a fresh set of eyes. Like, well, what about this? What about that? What about this? And it's like, okay, that's a risk. That's a risk. That's a risk. And if we can come out and be like, all right, but we still have a profit, a chance to turn a profit on this and not be stuck with a lemon, we can proceed. Well, even, you know, and we do that. Uh, I had done a episode a long time ago about tunnel vision. And that's what I feel a lot of people have. And that's something that you and I make. We, we learned this early on and we make sure to check each other on where you manage our projects, right? But then whenever there's certain phases going on, I'll go and walk the project and I'll look at it because I'm not there every day. So by not being there every day, I come in with a different perspective and I catch things that you don't see because you're there every day, right? And you don't catch something that got missed and vice versa on, on my side, the same thing. Like, you know, right now I'm running leads and doing all the stuff that we're doing. And then you come in and you're like, you know, we should do it this way. And it's like, shit, you're right. I didn't think about or it. Or just that like way. yesterday, like yeah. that, that sheet of paper that he's like, well, I got to build this document. I was like, I already built that. And you're like, where? And I showed him like, oh my God, I completely forgot. And about it was that in piece. front of me the whole, whole time. time. It's right there. You're like, and where? Which one? I'm like that one. Right that's there. why this one. <laughs> one thing that I always tell people, and I had a, a conversation uh, this week was with a, a fellow investor from New York, actually, uh, from Brooklyn. And it was a discovery call and he, he wants to expand. He wants to branch out. And we talked about like virtual wholesaling. We talked about how to set up a team virtually, um, all of this stuff. One of the key takeaways from that whole conversation is like, I, I was like, you can't do this on your own. You understand? Like if you, and this is what I see with a lot of times, uh, the, the same, that the wholesaler that he's working with us and everything, he you know, everybody, when they get into business, they want to do this on their own. Why? Because the, all they're looking at is the money. Well, by myself, I get 100% of the profit, right? And I can handle the work. Like, yes, but you go absolutely nowhere by yourself. When you look at anybody and everybody, I mean, and we can go from high examples of like Steve Jobs, Bill Gates, Warren Buffett. Everybody had somebody next to them that was always helping them always with them, looking at everything. It wasn't just one person. You know what I mean? It wasn't just one person running the, the fucking business, running everything. And it's something that investors don't understand. They come into this, they come into it alone by themselves, want to do it all on their own, and they struggle because you don't have that other person doing the checks and balances with you. You don't have that other person poking holes at all the shit that you're working on, making you think a little bit more creatively, questioning the way that you're looking at things. And I think that's always been the value that you and I have, where a lot of people are always asking us, you know, how the hell do you make a partnership work? Because a lot of people have tried and it's failed. And we do brutal transparency, brutal candor, where it's like anybody hears us, they think we're insulting each other. But we're not, you know, we're, we're saying it, obviously me coming from New York, I don't have much of a, 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 a nice the, tone got, of speaking Got the all, I speak in all caps In all caps. Yeah. And it seems very, uh, disrespectful at times, or it might seem like, you know, I'm attacking, but you know, me already, we've been to working together for in business together for five years and working together for like six years. Yeah. So you, and we spend more time with each other than we do with our own wives and uh, girlfriends and every other girl that I know. Um, oops, wow. oops, oh, 
Just kidding. Just kidding. No, he's just joking. No. He's here all the time, I swear. Jeez. No. It's no. a joke. <laughs> Damn it. I'm sleeping outside today and it's going to rain. Um, well, it's, it's also but, passion. A lot of that in there, too. But, but our morals, right? Like, one thing that we decided early on is we will not make a decision based on money. Right. It was any decision we've always made has always been based based on what's the right thing to do, what's going to help the business, you know, and what's going to help us grow. Money was a byproduct of all those things, because if we learn new strategies, if we build better resources, if we build better connection networks, all of that, then when the market shifts or the market turns, when the market does anything, we are always ready to pivot. We're not limited to anything. You know, and we left a lot of money on the table as we grew. And we've, we talked about this a lot of times. That sometimes we kick ourselves because we're like, shit, we left a lot of money on the table. That we would be so much further ahead money-wise, but we wouldn't be further ahead in business because the connections that we've made. I mean, I talked to people. I, I did an interview, and you, if you haven't watched it, you, it's a must-watch interview with uh, Austin Lindy. He used to be a hard money lender. And we covered everything about hard money lending. And one thing that I noticed every time I talk to people is what we have with our private money lenders, almost nobody has. You understand? And, and I'm talking about almost nobody, even people that have been in this business 20 plus years don't even have access to the level of private funds and the quality of private funds that we have. But that's because we spent how many years building that? Yeah. Building that credibility, building those resources, partnering with people, working with people, splitting profits, leaving money on the table, showing them that we are people that are here to stay. Yeah. And that's where I feel like a lot of investors coming in the market are not thinking long term. They're not thinking, how can I show people that I am here to stay? That I am not just here as a, just any other freaking wholesaler that just... So, or a one-time first flipper. Exactly. Uh, it's like, I'm here for the money and the money alone. It's like... You got to love real estate and the business and the inner workings and the people and the interactions that you get to have to make this business work. Because, I mean, it is very difficult, like especially right now with this amount of people that are jumping into this business and getting into it. It makes it very, very, very difficult. Wow. Uh, very nice comment from Star. She says... Y'all? Yeah. Y'all. Yeah, I got it. I got it. You, we you, don't even need to attempt You, you read that word. Uh, are definitely an admirable team. And... and and I, I take a lot of pride in that because I take more pride. And this is something that we always joke around. Uh, you come and you'll show me like a wire transfer, right? From a deal and like, hey, look how much just hit the bank. And done. to me, I'm like, I don't care. What I care more about is, yeah, but look what we learned. Or look at the new system that we put in place. Or look at, because that money is, most of the time it's already gone by the time it hits the damn bank. But it's always... We develop now a process or system or we learn something that will help us generate that money again and again and again, yeah. right? When I first started, it was the same thing. I started uh, helping out an investor out of Austin. They, did the, they paid for the marketing. I ran down the leads. I did so many subject to deals. So many. I mean, it was like 98% of all the deals we did were subject to deals. I learned every which way, you know, how to negotiate them, the contracts, the different types of situation, everything about subject twos. And... Because of doing that, it opened up my mind to how to create creative real estate transactions. Yeah. Where when you find, and I always tell people this, if you find a seller that needs to sell, there's a deal to be made. 
Because I don't care what the numbers are. I and honestly do not care. Need, it's a need to sell, not need. want to sell. No, needs to yeah, sell. Need to sell. Not the people like, I yeah. want to sell, but I want to sell yeah. for 200 and 200. I'm like, you owe 185. I'm sorry. I can't sell your house. Oh, had, and you need a, a new roof and an AC. I had a seller uh, I spoke to uh, through our marketing that he is <laughs> like, yeah, I'll sell. You give me $5.5 million. I was like, 5.5. Okay. Um, is this at closing or can we finance this? No response. He hung up. I was like, okay. And I wasn't mean. trying to be a smart ass, but, uh, you know, talking about a broken clock is right twice a day. There's a, there's a guru here in Texas, and I, I don't know if he's nationwide, but Phil Grove um, spews a lot of bullshit, right? Because he, he hasn't done shit in real estate and I don't know how long. But within all the bullshit that he spewed, one thing that he talked about, he says, I don't care about the price if the terms are good. Right. So it's like, I'll pay $5 million for that house. If we structure that the terms where I give you $10 a month over the next 150 years. I was like, I'll give you $500 a month. Right. So those are the things like, I know, obviously, you know, it's a, it's, it's a joke, but it's not like, you got to think about more creative. If somebody wants full retail. Okay. But how? How are we talking about this full retail? Are you financing some of it? Can we do some form of uh, owner finance, some stuff like that? Is it located in a neighborhood where it makes uh, sense to have? You know, so this next uh, Wednesday, I believe we're going to be dropping a new episode of what is, how is it that we evaluate a property, whether we're going to do, do it as a flip or we're going to keep it as a rental? How do we determine the difference? And a lot of people say, well... Ah, oh, that's easy. If it cash flows, uh, you know, if it makes sense as a rental, then it's a rental. Not always. You know, there's a lot of other factors that we take in place. Right now, we have two properties and the one that we're, th so three properties that all make sense as a rental, but we're doing different strategies with those. Yep. You understand? So it's like, not always. So stay tuned and subscribe. Um, <laughs> and hit that like button. Hit that like button. It makes John feel so much happier about himself. You know, John's projecting. He's trying to use it as a cover-up. He, he name's speaks John to himself every day in the mirror. Is like, John, you get a thumbs up today. You know, and we have stickers here that I give him every day for thumbs up. Just hit that thumbs up. Makes I, his life. I like stars. Gold stars. Yeah, I saw. I saw that. Big um, dog. Another another article that I wanted to talk about. Uh, we've been talking about it. Yeah, I don't want to get into that just yet. Politics. Okay, um, so if do you have another one? Because I have one. I was gonna talk about the start getting into the Bitcoin and everything and finish well, one off more with to crypto. Finish it real estate. Um, the home builder confidence rises in April despite record low, record high lumber prices. A big difference there. Um, builder sentiment increased one point in April to eighty three, according to the National Association of Home Builders Wells Fargo Housing Market Index. Anything above 50 is considered positive. Last April, the index plummeted to 30 and then shot back up and over the summer. Builders are facing strong demand for potential buyers because the existing home market continues to suffer from record low numbers of listings. They are, however, having trouble meeting the, that demand as supply delivery challenges and higher costs for material are not improving. Lumber futures for May delivery hit a new intraday all-time high of $1,212.70 per thousand board feet on Wednesday. I don't think it, like, it crossed over 1,000. Usually it hovers between like 400 and 600, yeah. and now we're double that. 
But yeah, the developers are greedy, as people like to say. Yeah. The supply chain for residential construction is tight, particularly regarding the po- the cost and availability of lumber, appliances, and other building material, said NAHB Chuck Chairman Chuck Falkel. A custom home builder from Tampa, Florida, thought builders are seeking to keep home prices affordable in a market in need of more inventory. Policymakers must find a way ways to increase the supply of building materials as the economy runs hot in 2021. Home prices in the existing market are rising in the fastest pace in more than 15 years, and builders continue to hit to hike prices to meet their higher costs. Low mortgage rates have been helping with affordability all last year, are now significantly higher than they were at the start of this year. So, I mean, it's good to see that home builder confidence is rising, but just because there's such a demand, but it's also being hit by this lack of material costs. Yeah. Because I've been hearing people like they're putting clauses in their contract now. Like if you're contracting a a house pre-built and wasn't done, they have a clause in their contract that they have the right to raise increased prices once they're through framing and stuff. I can tell you, well, here's the price today, but it can raise X number of dollars over the period of time if lumber prices continue to increase, or they can just outright cancel the contracts. Like, I can't sell this house for 200 anymore. Um, I'm going to have to cancel this contract. And the new price is 225 You don't qualify for 225 I'm sorry for you. Here's all your money back. Yeah. I got to resell this thing because I got to turn a profit. And there's buyers that are allowing them to do that. Well, and it's also, this kind of ties into what we were talking about before about uh, labor shortages is that's another area that's gotten labor shortages is one thing that uh, I was, I thought I had it in here, but I was reading an article where they said like trees haven't gone away. (laughs) You know, there isn't a lumber shortage. There's a labor shortage in the mills. These mills cannot produce enough lumber because there aren't people showing up to work. There aren't people that they can hire. So you had all those, the supply chains, all those got affected during COVID. Now that they're opening back up, they're trying to get everything going. They're not getting enough people working the mills. They're not getting enough people, you know, cutting the trees, prepping all the stuff, doing all the stuff that's needed. So that labor shortage, and this is these are the things that we talked about before about understanding how the trends go, right? Where it's, this happens and you say, oh, okay, well, it happened over here and we're way over here, whatever. But that's everything creates a domino effect. You know, the, we're all connected. I mean, you got to understand how, you know, how restaurant industry getting hurt is going to affect real estate. It's going to affect everybody because restaurants get hurt. Then they got to fire their people. And then those people stop shopping. And then those shops are hurting. And then those hurt, uh, hurting shops are firing their people. And then it yeah, becomes a cycle. Style. And then it, it brings down the local economy there. And then that economy brings down the next one. So, it's obviously oversimplified, but it's how it works. Everything is connected. So you look at all these things and how did it affect real estate? Look how it has affected real estate. Look how it has affected so many people that right now I hear all the time. I can't find deals. I can't find deals. And I'm like, no, you can't make deals. That's your problem because leads are everywhere. It's just that you don't know how to make that a deal. That's your actual problem. Because all you need, again, all you need is a motivated seller. You need somebody that needs to sell. And those people are everywhere. There's a lot of people that need to sell. The problem is that you don't know how to make that into a deal. You know, and especially wholesalers. I heard this one guy. I don't remember where, where I heard it or read it or where. What the hell it was. But he gave an example. He says, you're a wholesaler. You're in a competitive market. 
you're going to wholesale a deal, right? You want to make, let's say, 10 grand on it, but 10 grand is kind of tight. So why not put that 10 grand in a lean position on that deal to the investor and they pay you interest on that? So you're essentially becoming a lender of your, of your fee to the buyer and then the buyer pays you back when they're done with the deal. Or if they're holding it as a buy and hold, you get revenue every single month from that 10 grand that you lend them. You know what I mean? He's like, that's a way to be make wholesale fees passive income. And I was like, I like it. I like the creativity of that. You yeah. know what I mean? You want a big wholesale fee? Make it part of the deal. Where it's like, you know, you look at it and it's like, fuck, man, if I got to got to pay you the 10 you know 10 15 20 grand whatever it is like well let's leave that part of the deal you know maybe give me two for right now or three or whatever we'll make the rest alone we'll be second position or some shit at x amount percentage and whenever you're done you pay me that back but the problem is like a lot of wholesalers they come into this business already hurting for money and not just wholesalers, investors as well. They come into the business and already it's hurting, hurting. It's not hurting a little bit of money either. It's like an extra two grand is not their problem. No. They have like 10 grand problems. Well, and then also like one of the things that we've seen, and again, and again from uh, the guy that works, uh, that's been working with us, and, and this is, I mean, not to talk shit on the kid. Like he's, he's a freaking hustler. The kid is working his ass off and he's a good kid. And it has nothing to do with any of that. It's just... He's learning. He's learning the process. He's learning everything. But like he keeps increasing his expenses of marketing of everything, which makes him need more of a fee, more deals closing, more everything happening in order to get to make his uh, monthly nut. Right. In order to make that amount that he needs every month to sustain his current lifestyle and his current expenses. Like he need it, that keeps increasing because he keeps increasing everything where it's like, no, 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 you got to stable off a little bit. You got to build up some reserves. You got to build up all these things and then you got to incrementally build your stuff. Oh, yeah. So you're not always hurting for money. So then you can dedicate your wholesales, let's say, or your deals to forming shit that makes sense. Well, that's what I've always thought. It's like, I need to sell this big wholesale fee. I'm going to dump it all back into marketing. It's like, so I can increase my marketing so I can increase my deal flow and make bigger wholesale fees to do more marketing, to do bigger. It's like, that is a, a hamster wheel. Yeah. That is a rat race. That is where it's like, I need big fees to sustain my marketing so I can do a lot of marketing to get deals, to get bigger fees, to get, do more marketing Or It's like, you're just running a wheelhouse there. That's like, what is your long-term plan? Like, exactly. do you have a way that you're planning to scale to move out of that position to where it's like, it all falls on you. That's the problem. It's like, I just need, I need, I need to do more marketing so I can get more deals so I can sell more houses and then I can hire somebody so I can do more marketing. It's like, yeah, but you never get to that point. Right. Like real estate is, is a very, uh, you need to have multiple streams of income within real estate in itself to be able to hire, to have some background that's not just on like, I just need to get these these fees constantly. Like every month I have to sell like three, two, three, four houses every single month. Like you have to diversify your income and your business model and being able to understand that it's like, you can't just be a wholesaler because that is just a, and like, unless you go with, there's, uh, there's very, very few companies that I know, two of them that I, only that I know of that have made a, nationwide wholesale business and they don't have great reputations amongst investors oh, uh, or people course. that have been investing for a while because like it predicates on screwing people over like you were going to have a lot of fallout and people get 
financially hurt well, from that business. And, and look at their, you know, when you when you're forming a company that you got to have, I don't know how many freaking pages they have of disclaimers. It's like you're probably doing something wrong, right? Yeah. If you got to cover your ass that much, it's like you 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 know you're doing something wrong. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I mean, th those are the issues uh, kind of going on, but they're all solvable. They all have easy solutions, yeah. you know, and if you were interested, you can schedule a discovery session with us where we can sit down, analyze where you are, analyze what your goals are and put an actual plan together um, on where you can go next, what next actions to take and everything. And uh, yeah, people have been really enjoying it. You know, it, again, that tunnel vision that we talked about, it's having somebody with experience and resources come in and look at your position from an outside perspective. And we're doing that right now too. We're, we just joined the mastermind of precisely, uh, you know, with the other business owners and stuff, because our purpose with that is having somebody with an outside perspective, look at our business and say, you know, poke holes. Where are we, you know, what are we not seeing because we what are we in our own improve? business, yeah. you know? So it's always worth it. So definitely reach out if you're interested. Um, you could just go ahead and text 210-794-9898. Just text discovery call and we'll send you more information about that. With that being said, uh, as we start getting towards the back of this talk some business episode, economics no i want to talk crypto i know that's what i'm saying business like isn't that where all that's at is it business economics sure well it's in the business economics well to tab. me it's more in, in in politics right now so the u.s government is losing some one trillion dollars in unpaid taxes every year and needs more and consistent uh internal revenue service funding to go after tax cheats IRS Commissioner Charles Riddick, Riddick, Riddick. Riddick said on Tuesday. Um, new sources of wealth arising since then, such as trading in cryptocurrencies, were escaping taxation, he said, as was rising foreign sourced income and abuse of business income passed through as personal income. So that little last line, source income and abuse of business income passed through as personal income. So they're right there. That's to me, it's like, huh, okay. You're talking about like LLCs, companies, you know, okay. I'm got my attention. If you add those in, I think it would not be outlandish that the actual tax gap could approach and possibly exceed a trillion dollars on an annual basis. Riddick said, um, the agency is outgunned by increasingly sophisticated tax avoidance schemes. <laughs> While years of budget cuts have left it with about 17,000 fewer revenue enforcement staff than it had a decade ago. President Biden's fiscal 2022 budget request would boost the IRS budget by about 1.3 billion or 10.4% uh, over the current levels. IRS budget would include an additional 900 million for tax enforcement in fiscal 2021, which starts on October 1st. The tax gap represents unreported income, underpayment, or non-payment of taxes owed, an exaggeration of claim taxes tax breaks such as deductions and credits. So again, deductions and credits. I mean, one of those things that gets affected a lot by those. Uh, is real estate. So those are the things I'm kind of, you know, 
looking at when they're talking about all this. One suggestion that Reddick had made senators to capture more unreported income would be legislation requiring that transactions in cryptocurrencies, such as Bitcoin, be reported, similar to the way that securities transactions are reported on a 1099. These reports will help the IRS uh, to tax capital gains in lightly regulated cryptocurrency investments, which now have a market cap of around $2 trillion. So right now, all of the cryptocurrencies in the world, uh, cryptocurrency, uh, not cryptocurrencies, Bitcoin is valued at $2 trillion. The IRS chief also said the agency would be ready to open a portal on July 1st for low-income Americans to sign up to receive monthly payments of an expanded child tax credit under Biden's $1.9 trillion COVID-19 relief package. So if I'm not mistaken, that's that's the last package that he did. So because the, this next one that he's doing for like $2 trillion or so, that's the infrastructure plan. So this is the COVID relief package. That's the one that's already been done, right? Okay. So just clarifying that point. The credit will provide six months, which before I thought was a year, of payment of three hundred. Of 3,604 children under six. So is that six months total, 3,600 or 3,600 per month? Six months of payments of 3,600 for months children. Of payments of 3,600 for children under six. So to me, I think, it I like think it's a months. typo because they have a few in this article, but because I, I, I heard it was like over the course of a year. Now it's over six months. I don't know. And then three grand for kids from six to 17. Puts the revenue agency into a position of benefit administration for the first time. Riddick said the new monthly payment system, which is temporary, will cost about $391 million and take 300 to 500 people to administer, including more phone service personnel and fraud investigators. So, I mean, these numbers, like, I would like the, the IRS to get audited. It's like, really? That much to set up a system like this? You know, $391 million? I mean, I think I can... To me, it sounds like that's a very small number compared to, like, to set all up, the no, children. No, to set up the system, not to pay. That's to set up and manage the system. That, that's oh, not saying that yeah, okay, that's what that. they're going to use. Well, that's not what's going to be distributed. It will cost about $391 million and three. Jeez. So... Yeah, well, that's typical government for you. Like, they're very inefficient in spending their money. Yeah, so I mean, you, you look at it and they're, they're talking about, you know, they want to go after capital gains. They want to go after cryptocurrency now. Uh, they wanna, they're talking about the pass-through, so LLCs and stuff like that. Um, we've already heard that there, you know, there's plans of or proposes, proposals of going after 1031 exchange. These are all things, again, I'm not saying these things are happening. These are just what the articles are covering, what they're saying might happen, might not, who knows. But these are the things that you need to watch out for, right? These are the things that you need to plan for, especially as a real estate investor, capital gains, you're flipping, wholesaling, all of it is capital gains. You know, as soon as you sell properties, capital gains, if they get rid of 1031s, that's an issue, right? You're selling your real estate, trying to turn it over into more real estate, into other properties, you're not going to get the tax benefits anymore. You know, so I mean, if you know, if you make a profit of over a million dollars, they're talking about taxing forty uh, percent of that. So there's a lot of things that are coming down the line, and now they're going after cryptocurrency. One of the things that I saw, in my opinion, 
is there's more talks about taxing cryptocurrency versus, you know, getting rid of cryptocurrency or trying to block it in any way. So, I mean, I think that might be. I heard a, a podcast with like Tom Wilwright uh, talking about there's a box you have to check to see if did you trade any crypto yeah. in a year. And like if you don't check that box and they find you and they find out that you do, it's straight felony. Like it's like. Well, it's tax evasion. Yeah, but I mean, yeah. like before, it's like it wasn't a felony towards other things that might be avoiding yeah. taxes. Like, hey, not quite a felony or something at certain levels, but it's like just trading crypto and not disclosing it. Like, did you buy and sell? You can buy it. You don't have to disclose it, but trade is did you buy and sell cryptocurrency over the course of 2020, 2021, whatever it may be? Um, if you check that, you don't check that and they find out you do, like it's a straight felony. They can actually freeze everything uh, in your life. And these are the things that, you know, if you're one of these people that is following the hype of the crypto of all these things like Tesla or when we covered uh, the GameStop and all of those things, you could, what you have to understand is that it, it's not to say don't do it, right? We're, we're not financial advisors, doctors, accountants, veterinarians, or none of that shit. Do your own due diligence. Arborist. And we just... Oh. Um, we just, we think in common sense terms or what is common sense to us. And we're trying to share our, our point of view on all this, that when you are getting into all this, when you're getting into this kind of investing and all this, you got to think of all the repercussions. So if you're buying a stock that's blowing up, you got to think through like, what does this mean when I do my taxes? You know what I mean? What is this going to mean when it, you got to be more strategic with the investing that you do with the money that you're making? You got to be strategic. You got to think through all this. Yeah. Because if not, you're getting all this money and like a lot of people do, they cash it in. All of a sudden they find themselves with a huge windfall. Let's go on vacation. Let's buy this. Let's buy that. Boom, boom, boom. Then all of a sudden you go do your taxes and it's like, oh, here's like a $15,000 tax bill. Yeah. Like what? Whoops. <laughs> Whoops. So definitely. And within real estate, same thing. I see it all the time. Wholesalers get in, start doing a lot, or new flippers get in. They start doing a lot, making some good money and everything. Great. Then tax time comes. They're like, uh, I don't have any money to pay that. It's like, I got to go do more deals because now I got to pay taxes. Exactly. Yeah. So well, always it's, it's, budget it's the, for that. The, short, the short, short term gain. It's like, what do people do when they first start making more money? They up their lifestyle drastically. Instantly. 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 And it's like, it's not like, okay, hey, let's, let's settle into this for six months. Let's get through a tax season a year to see like, what are we going to do? Like, nobody's ever crying when your bank account grows up in cash. Like everyone wants to up their lifestyle and they keep their bank account zero. It's like, uh, what that was, what's that uh, Adam Sossing said that saved that money? Save it. Wait for it. See what happens when new tax time comes around. Make sure that you're not going to get screwed because. Well, you, you... and then another thing that you can do is I strongly recommend is that you seek out some advice. Find a tax strategist, not just one. Find a few tax strategists, hopefully that have been recommended by people that use them consistently and people that are making money. Go sit down with them. Tell them what your plan is. Tell them what you're doing right now. See what makes sense. You know, what? how is your plan supposed to go? And we did an interview with Brian Lang from CFO uh, Upside, Upside CFO. And he he's a tax strategist. He does consultations, everything. So go check out that interview. Listen to all the stuff that he talks about and get educated, get prepared with all these things because you don't want that surprise to come in and wipe you out. You know, we were recently reading a book called uh, Profit First. And he talks about the different accounts that you should have. And what I, one of the accounts that I love that he talked about is that out of every income that comes in, 
you take a, a portion of that and you put it in an account that's for taxes. You understand? If you create that from the start, it doesn't matter what you do afterwards because you you're always going to be protected. You know, you're always putting that, but you got to create the habit right now. You know, you can't look at it that well, 15 see, grand hit your account you and you the have 15 of grand. A pay yourself first kind of thing. Like modern yeah. banking makes it extremely easy to do. Yeah. We're like, hey, bank, my check comes in and on the third of every month, $500 gets taken out of this bank and transferred to this bank. I mean, I have that set up with like a ton of my accounts where there's automatic transfer set up all over the place. Yeah. Or it's like, hey, these things are automatic. As long as the income comes in and that doesn't stop, everything is going to be set for savings, for vacations, for retirement, whatever it may be, cash reserves. Yep. I'm just saying, hey, I'm going to set aside of $200 every month. You can probably very easily do it within the same bank. I suggest doing it outside of the bank so you don't see it when you log into your main bank account. Yeah. But it's like, hey. Yeah, you just- want to make it into a place that you don't see consistently because when you see that, it's very easy to get tempted. Or just tra- just like, oh, I'm just going to transfer it from my savings account to my checking account and I'm going to go spend it. Just this time. And, and I'll put it back. But no, it's it's those habits that you got to form. So definitely, uh, you know, hope that helps a little bit. And again, if uh, if you've been enjoying this, just hit that thumbs up. You know, but see John smile. Look at that. Look at that. Up to 15. That's the most we've ever gotten recently. <laughs> um, but uh, but then the next thing is kind of leading more into the cryptocurrency and everything that's going on is a dramatic round of regulation seen coming for cryptocurrencies. All right. So oh, let, wow. now now there is regulation. So the guardians of the financial sector. I love that. Uh, <laughs> so the financial sector are poised to greatly intensify their efforts to regulate the booming cryptocurrency sector. That's the view of the World Economic Forum blockchain expert who said challenges include keeping up with the borderless nature of Bitcoin and other digital tokens, as well as ensuring that innovation isn't stifled. So we're going to see another round of pretty dramatic attempts at regulating the space, said Sheila Warren, head of data, blockchain, and digital assets with the World Economic Forum. Um, as there's more and more activity in these spaces, there's more and more demand signal for regulators to get engaged and involved. Governments are inspecting risks around the sector more closely as the investor base widens. Bitcoin's most ardent proponents see, see it as a modern day store value and inflation hedge, while others fear a speculative bubble is building. So, you know, I, obviously, cryptocurrency has been around uh, for what, like uh, Bitcoin and all that for like 10 plus years, more or less? I think it's 2009 when it started. Around there? Oh, so it's, that's a baby. Oh. That, I mean, that is in, in terms of investing, in terms of everything, it's I mean, a nobody baby. Nobody even really heard of Bitcoin until like 2018 when it really just took off and the bubble popped its first time. Or whenever uh, Elon Musk started tweeting about it. <laughs> But you, you know, yeah. so it, it's still a baby. So regulation is just, it's bound to come for it, right? Because it's just, most people don't know about it. And lately, one of the things that we've seen, and again, this is uh, my personal opinion on this, is I do feel like it's in some form of a bubble, just for the fact that a lot of the people that have jumped into Bitcoin, into crypto lately, have been huge speculators because they've gotten this the stimmy checks, they've gotten all this extra money, and they see crypto that's gone from when it hit its low of what three grand, 
uh, five or seven, seven years ago, five years ago, no, less than that, like four years ago, that was at a low of three grand, it shot up to $60,000. I mean, fuck. I mean, it's up, I mean, just from December, it's up like threefold. Like it was just like 20,000 in insane. December. So you, you, they look at that and they're like, oh yeah, hell yeah, look at crypto. Ooh, fuck the man, you know, we're, we're going off there after this. My thing is like, they're not going after the fundamentals. Now, I believe in crypto, all right? It, it's taken a while because I wasn't fully educated on the subject. I didn't fully understand it. Um, I didn't understand the, I, I, I grasped the basic concept of blockchain, but I didn't fully understand how it protected Bitcoin. How was it so secure? How was it that, you know, this thing even makes sense? I've been getting a lot more educated on crypto, on blockchain, on the process of mining, on all of this, where it's like, holy crap, this is this is a really smart play. Like what they did with this, the person or people that did it, my God. Like you as guys far are as what? It just the the complexity of creating Bitcoin where it is damn near Unvulnerable? Unvulnerable? Yeah, that can't be touched. Yeah. Is that the word? I mean, decentralized where it's like... It, it's, it's it, it can't be touched. It can't be controlled. It can't be shut down. It can't be manipulated. I mean, it's a software that runs across the internet where like you'd have to get every single person in the entire world shut off their computers that are doing that one laptop sitting in a closet like that interview yeah. said, like a laptop in a closet sitting there the, the network is alive the, yeah exactly so it's your you know terminator movie all over again right it's cnet no it was skynet skynet right where it's like you can't shut it down as long as one computer is active it's still going but what i'm talking about is the way that it's decentralized it's open source which means that anybody and everybody can help mine help control, help manage it. It's not one person in charge of it. It's not one government, one group, nothing. It's split up across the whole world. So the security that provides is virtually impenetrable. You understand? Because you cannot, you will literally, like you say, oh, is it hackable? Well, well you need like, to hack. As long as 51% isn't owned by one person. Which is, yeah, which is not. So, yeah. Now, this is something that I was talking to our videographer and editor, Mr. Dre over there. And we were talking about this this morning. I was like, this is all to say that we know the truth, right? Like if we want to get into conspiracy theories and all that, it's like, how do we know that 51% isn't owned by China, the CIA or some other group, right? Like we can get into conspiracy it's theories. It's me. Right. So, but. Takamoto. Takamoto? Well, it's like the, guy, the original guy that's found is like it's like Yoshi Takamoto or something like that. The oh, original founder okay. of Bitcoin. Yeah, uh, yeah, I don't know, but um, but you look at something like that and you say, okay, you look at what it's being done, and it's not. I don't look at Bitcoin as a speculation play. I look at Bitcoin the same way I look at gold and real estate. I look at at it as a wealth preservation. You understand? I look at Bitcoin, just Bitcoin, not cryptocurrency. There's a big difference, right? You have cryptocurrencies, which is pretty much any type of currency that's crypto. Um, <laughs> and then you have Bitcoin, which is a type of cryptocurrency, right? So Bitcoin in and of itself, I look at it as a store of wealth. I look at it like if I was to go you know, and buy more gold, I'm not looking at gold based on the price of it. 
I'm not looking at gold saying, hey, I want to buy gold, you know, because it's cheap right now. No, I'm buying gold because in case anything happens, it's something that can't be printed. You know, it's something that cannot be finite amount of exactly so it's worth more of it the same way why real estate has gone up because there's a finite amount of real estate and a high demand for real estate right so but real estate is real estate like the land we're, we're not making more land unless you're in dubai and you get one of those palm islands that they made but they're not you know cool though. yeah you're not making more land so land is a scarce resource as well Bitcoin is the same thing. There's a limited amount of Bitcoin and they're not producing anymore or they're producing like a very fractional amount, uh, you know, that needs to be mined and look into it. But it, it's so scarce. So and then it's decentralized. So it's like it really can't be manipulated. You understand? Like they can't and they're not doing it where they're like, psych, here's another 20 million Bitcoins back in the market. Your value just got cut in half. Yeah. They can't do that. It's not designed that way. Nobody seems to have any control over the software because it's again open source. So it's none of that shit can be done. So it's like I look at it like that. So when people are looking at it right now as a speculation play, is it a bubble? I feel like it's it is somewhat of a bubble right now. I feel like if we see any level of a like a decent sized correction in Bitcoin, I feel like all the people that got in for speculation sake are going to get scared and jump out just how they did on GameStop and everything else that just yeah. shot up and then it freaking tanked again, right? I see that happening. But the people that understand what Bitcoin is, they're always going to be there. And I'm buying Bitcoin now. And when it crashes, I'll buy Bitcoin again. And when it goes up, I'll buy Bitcoin again. You understand? Because it doesn't matter. I'm not yeah. buying the price. I'm buying the stability of that. I'm it's buying the that diversity. Piece, yeah. So, so that's that's how I look at Bitcoin. I mean, and that's also like one of the things. Like uh, several financial people that I follow. Uh, I mean, uh, the Kiyosakis to the Rick Edelmans and stuff like that. They're also like, it's a diversify. I mean, to uh, Rodney eight two six said crypto has drawbacks. The guys like Peter Schiff have pointed out. But I have some. I have some Bitcoin anyways uh, to get out of fiat current currency. Yeah, and that is something's like I have some. It's just like it's a diversification aspect. Of the, like, hey, it has proven it's been around for eleven years. Obviously, people want it because the price is up to sixty thousand. And to where it's like, hey, it's just a piece. Dollar cost averaged in ten bucks here, twenty bucks there. Just buy a little bit every now and then, and just see what happens. Don't go and put like, I'm putting like this one guy, 96% of his wealth all in Bitcoin. Like, okay, that's a little bit crazy now. Um, because there is still, I'm, I don't want to take on the U S government on like, or governments around the world be like, ah, I think Bitcoin's stronger than the world government powers. Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a really hard bet that I'm not yeah. willing to bet all my money on, uh, for that. So, well, and I mean, you know, and then going back to what Roddy, Eight two six. Um, is is it Roddy or is it just Rod? I would like to know what your actual name is. Um, to his point, it's just one thing I would say is like with people like Peter Schiff and or, or pretty much any economist, right? What is their incentive? So Peter Schiff, I I followed him since uh what was it two thousand nine two thousand ten. I've been listening to him right talk after as he well. Was right. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I predicted this crash. So I knew talking about him in 2005. Well, you also been talking about it since the 80s too. So. Yeah, eventually it was bound to happen. And but this is not to talk shit about oh. Peter Schiff or or any economist. It's just to understand their incentives. So Peter Schiff, he has uh, what is it? Schiff Capital. 
uh, the, then he has that gold company that he sells gold and all of that. He has a, a whole credit card that you buy the gold and then you can use a credit card to buy shit, which is so it's pretty much like cryptocurrency. Like it's a way to fractionally spend the gold that you own. You know what I mean? So you you own, let's say, a, uh, you know, a couple bricks of gold and they'll give you a credit card and you can use that credit card. And the, as you use it, it's depleting from your gold reserves. You know what I mean? So you're actually spending gold. So it, it's interesting. But when you look at it, like, what's his incentive? Well, he he's a big gold bug. You know what I mean? So I'm not saying he's right or wrong, but you got to understand the perspective. Then you yeah. have another economist like Max Kaiser, right? Max Kaiser, the big, big proponent of Bitcoin. Okay, well, he's heavily invested in Bitcoin. That's his bias. Now, where we talk about, like, you know, and Robert Kiyosaki always talks about two sides of a coin, but there's the third side, which is the edge, which is where we hope that you are guys, you guys are seeing that that's where Coffee with the Johns, that's where we stand. Prime Home stands on the edge of the coin. We try to look at both sides and make up our own mind. We try to analyze both sides. What makes sense? What makes sense here? What is my worry with Bitcoin? My worry with Bitcoin is that it's digital, right? Shut down the internet. Shut down the power grid. You're broke. Can't access it. Exactly. You understand? I unplug your computer. You're broke. So yeah. to me, that's a very big problem because when you talk about world wars right and we talked about before uh jim rickards another person that i like following and he's a he's still biased towards gold but he's a little bit more towards the middle because he does accept and understand crypto as well and he gives it its respect but he wrote a book years ago called cryptocurrency and in it they talked about war games that the government does wrote a book about crypto no Currency war. Sorry. There you go. He's saying cryptocurrency. Like, yeah, I was like, no, no, no. Like, yeah, I'm talking about currency wars. Uh, so he wrote the book called Currency Wars. I still recommend you read it because it, 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 you'll understand why the world is doing what it's doing right now. But in the book, he talked about in the first chapter, it was fascinating. Um, damn it. Why you got to correct me? Um, war games. So this is something that the government does. They create these war games and they bring in experts from all different fields. And they pretty much say, okay, they play a game. They say, okay, you're going to be Russia. You're going to be China. You're going to be this. You're going to be that. And how would you attack the U.S.? How would we fight? How, what would be the next war? It's so they start, they simulate, of, yeah. right. They simulate a, a situation, which is what we do when we do investments. We simulate worst case scenarios and everything, how to prepare against it. And in it, he picked Russia. And he pretty much tanked the whole U.S. economy. And he showed how, you know, within that whole policy, it's like, it's very easy when we are so heavily dependent on the internet and everything to pretty much tank the U.S. economy. I mean, the U.S.'s biggest moneymaker is the internet. Like, I mean, yeah. by far, right? So you want to attack the U.S.? Shut down the freaking internet. You shut down the U.S., right? So, and that's my only hesitation with crypto is that. What does that mean? Is that I believe in diversification. What does that mean? Is that you have a little bit in crypto. You have a little bit in physical gold or silver. Physical. Like you have possession of it. You know, a little diversification in cash. I still believe you need cash. You know, ammo, food. Like I diversify. Because to me, those aren't investments. To me, those are wealth preservation and protection against in case it happens 
right? So in case shit happens, I'm I'm kind of protected across the board. And then I then I can speculate with investments, you know, but I have a reserve. I have a reserve of money. I have a reserve of food. I have a reserve of this. So then it's like anything was to happen, anything was to happen in the world, whatever the hell happens, I'm protecting one way or another. Everything goes to complete dog shit. I have ammo. You understand? I, like I'm protected. I'm, I can protect and take care of my family. So that's how this is kind of like financial advice if you would take it. But like it's not advice. This is just what I'm doing. What's made sense to me. So with that whole rant being done, what is your take on cryptocurrency, on Bitcoin? What is your thoughts on this? And go. I mean, I, I alluded to it uh, previously that I think it, it is that it's a fascinating new space to watch and by like just just watching it and like put some money into it, test it out, play with it, move it from exchange to exchange, see how it works, understand what it does. What do you and, like, mean from exchange to exchange? Uh, like so you can buy something in Coinbase and then you can move that to another platform because I mean you have a digital wallet that is yours. So like, how do you move Bitcoin around? Cause I can take $20 from a safe and I can go put it in the bank. I can take it from the bank, put it in a safe deposit box. I know how to move money. But why do you want to move Bitcoin? To understand, I mean, cause to understand the space and the versatility of it. Cause like, why are people buying it? Because I think it's a future currency. Like you can already see like people buying houses in Bitcoin, people receiving payments in Bitcoin. I think yeah. one of the NFL players negotiating his contract. Be paid Half of Bitcoin. his contract. Yeah. So he's using it as a form of currency. Cause that is what it is at the very end. It's like, People believe it's worth something and it has a medium exchange and is divisible and can be set around. So it is a right. currency. So it's like you say like buy and hold it. Okay, yeah, buy and hold it. But why are people, why is it worth buying holding? It's because somebody believes it's not saying it's, just, it's worth more today or worth more tomorrow. It's like I can actually go exchanges for real goods and values. Yeah. That's what gives it an actual value and make people want to buy it. It's like it could be an alternative currency, but it is like it's could be. Because you also also are betting against the world governments, the powers that they may be, that they are going to fail, that they aren't going to regulate it and try to make it very hard to use. I don't agree. I don't. I don't think you're necessarily because there. You do have. I. Be, I believe that there. You have all your people that are. You have your people that are pro Bitcoin because they're like screw the government. You know, all this shit they're doing or screw Biden, screw Trump, screw this, you know, and they're going to Bitcoin. And I think those are the wrong reasons to go to Bitcoin. Right. And then I also think the wrong reason to go against Bitcoin is saying, you know, oh, Bitcoin is stupid. It's a fad, blah, blah, blah. You know, the U.S. isn't going anywhere. The U.S. is strong. It's like I don't look at it, you know, in either one of those directions. I look at it more of, again, the fundamentals of Bitcoin in and of itself. It's scarce. Currency, medium of exchange, and store value. It has both. It you can exchange it. You can exchange it. You can use it. There's and there's more and more was. big companies. We talked about credit card companies giving you a point back your your cash back in Bitcoin. So you're having more. We're seeing banks embrace Bitcoin and start transacting and investing in Bitcoins. We're seeing some governments embrace and and, and start transacting in Bitcoin. So. When when I start seeing all those things and you see the amount of people that are backing it and creating the blockchain behind it, I'm seeing more and more ways that this becomes more protected because it makes it that much harder. The more people get into it, the harder it becomes to take it down. You understand? Or versus any other any other cryptocurrency becomes speculation because you don't have the the 
the foundation that Bitcoin has. You don't have the people behind it building the, the blockchains that Bitcoin has. So when you don't have any of those things for all those other ones, they can tank at any moment. But Bitcoin is yeah. so deep and extensive, it's like, it's very hard to tank it. You know what I mean? So I look at it that way. I, that, you know, the way I look at it is how, why I say that it's more of a store value kind of thing. Yeah, but that's what I said. Like, start interacting with it, play with it. it like, you don't really understand something until you're vested in it and have some money at stake. 100%. So it's like, put it in there and just research platforms and just, just spend a day just researching, reading about crypto. Get on some. There's, I mean, type in Bitcoin, you're going to get inundated with uh, newsletters and different things like yeah. that. I mean, uh, I have this, I had this article in here and I've, I can't remember trying to find the date of when I put it in here. It was March 25th, so almost a month ago. But uh, Powell calls. Jerome Powell calls cryptocurrencies not really useful useful store of value. So the Fed chairman, Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell on Monday, Monday that cryptocurrencies remain an unstable store of value and the central bank is no hurry to introduce a competitor. They're highly volatile and therefore not really useful store of value and they're not backed by anything. Powell, Powell said during a virtual panel discussion on digital banking hosted by Bank of International Settlements. It's more of a speculative asset that's essentially a substitute for gold rather than for the dollar, like you alluded to. Mm -hmm. Powell spoke on a day where Bitcoin was down on Coinbase but still trading near 57000 apiece. For the past several years, the Fed has worked on its own payment system that facilitates the faster transaction of money with the unveiling of the final product likely to happen over the next two years. That's one thing they're saying, that the way our current money system works, it is slow. And Bitcoin has the ability to move faster in split seconds. You can send money around the world. Or if I'm trying to wire money to Indonesia, it is very difficult to do or yeah. time consuming and expensive. So the Federal Reserve has undertaken other probes in whether a central bank digital coin would be necessary or, or practical. To move forward on this, we would need to buy in from Congress, need the buy-in from Congress, from the, from the administration, from broad elements of the public, and we haven't really begun the job of public engagement, he said. So we can expect us to move with great care and transparency with regards to developing a central bank digital currency. Boston Fed last year entered into partnership with the Massachusetts Institute of Technology on a multi-year study into developing a central bank digital currency. So they are aware of it and they are moving into that space. So that is one of the downsides is like saying like it's a store of value as long as it's not being banned and regulated by the government. Because I mean, you saw the government came out in 71 and not 71 what year was it? They they banned gold, like where you couldn't hold gold. I think it was in the 30s. They needed to value the money supply. And they said, you are, it is illegal to own gold yeah. uh, on an individual basis. To where it's like the federal government could come out and create something that you cannot transact in the U.S. in Bitcoin. So you'd essentially create a black market of how Bitcoin would be transferred. To where it's saying like grocery stores, you, you the platforms, Coinbase, like all those things. Like you can't transact Bitcoin. You can't use it for anything. It's severely limiting the ability to move it and use it as a quote unquote currency, which is what people are saying. We're like, yeah, you have a store value, but you can't unlock it. You can't do it. You can't go turn it back into dollars to buy anything with it. So well, that I don't is know how that, true that is because it, it, it can't be controlled or anything. So it's like, how can you control it not being converted into dollars? How can you stop you'd that have to from go, happening? Well, you'd have to go black market. Like you'd have to somehow go overseas somewhere around and turn it back into dollars. I mean, it's just like how they turned dollars into cocaine. It's like, it's illegal, but they can't do it. You can't go out and go from a, a tax paying legitimate store and say, I want to turn my dollars into cocaine. 
federal government makes it illegal. No, but if you have it, let's say on on wall on your wallet or something like that, and you just sell it, like it doesn't, you can't sell it on on, on what platform do you? Coinbase, any of those platforms. The Coinbase, they make it illegal to transact. Like they essentially eliminate Coinbase. Or it's in, like it, you can't. What you as can't a company in general, or well, in so the you US? can't com you can't convert it to dollars. You can have you can have Bitcoin, but you can't turn it into dollars. Yeah. Um, I don't so know. You have your digital wallet, and you go to a store, and they try to turn it somewhere. Like they just won't accept. They can't legally accept it. Or it's like right now, it's like I can't walk in with. I mean, name whatever, like yeah, yeah, a yeah. pair of sunglasses and use it to buy a store. Like, I'm not going to accept that. I was like, I need... I don't know. I, I call bullshit on that just for the fact, like, how do you stop somebody from having anything over the internet? Like, Well, that's what I said. It's not stopping people from having it. It just makes it severely inhibiting the ability... Okay, but let's say Coinbase go ahead, goes ahead and moves to, you know, outside of the U.S. They still have their software. You well, still own will. crypto, and then you go ahead, you sell your crypto into whatever that currency is, and well, then, then you the government just says, like, you can't bring dollars from Coinbase. You can't bring dollars from these platforms. You can't bring dollars from here. It's like, it's the internet, and I'm not going to bet against, like, I get where you're going. It's like, it's the internet. How do you turn and, it down? And don't get me but, wrong. I am not defending Bitcoin at all. Like, I'm curious. Like, these are honestly, like, because... It's just me. Like, I'm not going to bet against the powers of the government to be no. able to regulate well, and stop people from coming. And again... It's like, how could they do that? It's like... Coinbase moves overseas. They, you can no longer and this wire is, money And Coinbase. this is why I believe, like, we heard a podcast recently from this guy that he's like, I'm 96% invested in Bitcoin. I'm like, you're an idiot. Like, you yeah. shouldn't be 96% invested in anything. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, diversification, dude. Like, you know, you just, like, you're, you that, that's the dumbest thing. Yeah. yeah. You know, to me, those things don't make sense. But um, very interesting. So, with that being said, I mean, we did not get to talking about how states are buying people, but I'll just cover it really oh. quick. Um, yeah, pretty much that. you have right now you have like West Virginia offers $12,000 to remote workers to move there. So that's what I meant by they're buying people. Oh. <laughs> Cities and states are, have increasingly been offering moving incentives to entice new residents in recent years, and the pandemic has promoted more government to get into the game. Vermont Remote Workers Grant Program will award 5000 in moving expenses. You have other places that are going to give you free land if you build a house there. Uh, you have Minnesota, Baltimore, Iowa. They're giving twelve grand, ten grand, twenty grand. They're they're giving money. Some states are giving you incentives of paying uh, north of ten thousand dollars of your student loans if you move there. So. You know, all of these states are doing all these incentives to get people there because they're seeing more and more remote workers uh, becoming a thing where you are no longer needing to live where the company is based because you can work from home, right? So they're saying, well, if you can work from home, some of these states are beautiful. They're just, you know, they, they don't, don't have, have the great, businesses. They don't have great economies. So what I, what I found interesting about all of this and one side little note, again, going back to the same topic, that cash award is taxable. <laughs> That's oh, key. Yeah, they, so they're giving you all these incentives, but that is taxable. So make sure to factor that in. Um, that being said, it's it, those are the things that I look at as far as what does that mean or look like with real estate? Right. When usually when you do when we do an analysis over real estate, we look at job growth, we look at economic policies, we look at, you know, incentives for businesses and all that. So if all of a sudden that shifts 
you know, which obviously right now it's not in a, any major way. But if it does become a thing where it's like, you know, even San Antonio's gotten expensive. Where now, you know, wherever the hell this is in like Minnesota or Iowa or whatever, I can go to these towns that are sort of coming a little bit more vibrant. And over here, it costs me two fifty to buy a house, but over there for two fifty, I buy a freaking massive home and I have money left over. Yeah, well, and I can people... still work and still generate my seventy grand a year working from home. It's like, well, that's that's the whole movement where it's like California is the tech hub of the United States, right? But now it's like. Well, you don't need to live in California to work for a tech company. So it's like, well, I can make that money. And like we talked about several yeah. weeks ago, I don't know what or months ago, of like, hey, you get a pay cut if you leave. Yeah. But it's like, but if you look at the cost of living, you're still making more money. Like, yeah, you they cut your t pay ten percent, but the cost of living is forty percent lower here than it is in Silicon Valley. It's right. Like, yeah, deuces. I'll take that pay cut to go move somewhere where my dollar goes way further across. I don't have the, yeah. the high taxes and things that go along with it. So, so yeah. So I mean, very interesting. I uh, I think uh, this is something to keep an eye on, and especially I'm keeping an eye on more and more companies that are offering not just working from home but they're offering you the education that you need to be able to work for them from home so they're training people they're getting people ready because they're realizing that let's say like especially these tech companies in california it's like well if i want to hire somebody from california let's say i got to pay them 80 90 100 150 grand i don't know what the hell you know the median price uh wage is over there but i got to pay them x amount or i can train somebody that has the same amount of skills and pay them 60 grand in Iowa, right? So it's like, ah. I mean, the work from home does create a lot of problems for some, for one state in particular, yeah? uh, or several states of like that, that requires like these jobs can be done remotely. They're high tax, high expensive cities where it's like, God, yeah, if I can work from somewhere else, like I'm out yeah. or like they can move to some of these centers. And that's why you're seeing these cash incentives to trying to buy people. Or like, yeah, we don't have great economies, but we have a much slower pace of living. And your dollar, like 70 grand in New York doesn't go very far. 70 grand in Topeka, Kansas, where I grew up, is like You're a millionaire. You can, you can go. I mean, you got you got some money. You have right. freedom. I'm like, and like you can buy that, like now, 17 cows. <laughs> Topeka's an actual city, all right. Oh, okay. My bad. I don't <laughs> know what they do over there. I don't know if they ride cows into town. It's, a, it's the capital of Kansas, man. Uh, give you a break. But with that extra money, you can now travel too. Right. Where it's like, hey, I can go live somewhere that I was like, that's one thing I liked about San Antonio is like, it's a very low cost of living or used to be, used but to it's still be. comparatively. Yeah. And it's like in the airport location to where like, I like to go. I'm a Southern warmer weather climate kind of person. Out of balls, I, yeah. Yeah. I can get to those places very easily to where it's like, if I want to travel, like it's centrally located or somebody's like, Hey, they got flexibility with where they can work from wherever they want yeah. to. They can take their home base from a California, Illinois, New York, or in Miami, any high cost cities move somewhere cheaper make the same amount of money, save a lot more, their quality of life drastically goes up. Or now they go like, hey, I can go travel, I can work from home, as long as I got a good internet connection, I can I can travel somewhere right. and stay there. But if you're living in Manhattan, it's like, I can't afford to travel. Like all of my money goes to rent and just sustaining my lifestyle here oh, yeah. in California or in Manhattan. But if I move to, uh, where was it that Valuetainment just moved to? Like Florida. Boca Raton. Uh, Florida yeah. outside of Miami. It's like they can go there and it's like it's a different lifestyle and they can afford to travel now. 
Oh, it, right. it's something. It's going to create some big problems, and like I don't see this movement going away. No, no. And now that now that this is opened and started, and businesses realize they could capitalize on it, it's like Zoom is now like widely used amongst everybody. That oh, we like, had to go ahead to. and order webcams for our damn computers because it's like one Zoom meeting after another. It's like ah, damn it. All right, fine. I'll ha- I have to stop using my phone and l- let's get a freaking webcam. Yeah, switch for twenty bucks. Yeah, but it, it's just it, it's it's a way of life, and we've not only been able to adapt, but it's becoming that the way of life, the way of doing business. Where now we are having meetings. We were having meetings with investors from Kansas City yesterday. Um, I believe Kansas City. Yeah. And the other one was in Dallas. You know, I've, I've been meeting with a, an investor that I'm working with out of California, you know, and we can have meetings and it's like, yeah, nobody really needs to go anywhere. We don't need to spend that kind of money of traveling and doing all this bullshit. It's like virtual. This is good right now. So, all right. With that being said, people, I hope you've enjoyed it. Hit that thumbs up. Share with your friends and loved ones. You see what we do and what we are all about. Um, We're always trying to bring value, bring information, share our experiences and our knowledge with you. Make sure you join our text community at... What's that number? 210-794-9898. And if you're in Texas, just text property tour. And you will be included in the list that gets text every time we go to a property, uh, one of our houses, and we walk through it. We walk through the repairs, go over everything, and you get to see exactly what it is that we're doing, ask questions, and all of the good stuff. So with that being said, people, I appreciate you all for watching. Thank you for the comments and everything. I love the, the engagement on the chat. And next week, big announcement. We are doing this Thursday, not Friday, Thursday morning at eight, because Friday, John won't be here. So we want to make sure to get this out to you. So we'll have it done Thursday morning at eight. So make sure to tune in next week, Thursday morning at eight. And we can set that reminder on YouTube. We can. Yes. And we will catch you all next week. Bye.